Hello, and welcome to another episode of Novel Not New, a True End podcast. Uh, we're a narrative gaming book club podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Uncle, and joining me is Six Detmar. Jennifer, I don't have much time. Oh, you don't? No. I've, I've, I've only got a few minutes before I go back. I've come from the future. I have to stop you, Jennifer, before you embarrass yourself on Twitter again. <laughs> what did I do this time? Jennifer, I just... Listen... Just make sure, make sure you're not on me. (laughs) (laughs) Duly noted. And um, also with us, uh, love you, Joseph. Hi. Um, Six, that was so mean. (laughs) That was such a mean (laughs) bit. Six likes to rub us like that every now and then. (laughs) No, I've noticed. I don't rib Olivia that much because Olivia punches back real hard. (laughs) (laughs) I don't win those ones. Dog bites back. <laughs> but yeah, before we jump into things proper, we have a bit of announcement here. Um, this is going to be Olivia's uh, last episode as a regular host on the show. They're uh, stepping down to um, focus on the other projects they're currently working on. Yeah, yeah. I, it's, I wish I didn't have to. Um, cause I have really enjoyed doing this podcast. Um, you know, it was the first, it was the first podcast that I ever did like regularly. Um, and it's meant a lot to me. It's just that I have started working full time and, um, and that in addition to all of the other things I was also working on is just, uh, kind of too much for me to do at once. Um, I needed to make some more time in my schedule and and more just space um and if i had to make a cut unfortunately it was this it was this podcast um my my biggest respect goes out to anyone who can play video games on a deadline because i think that's like one of the most difficult uh just like tasks you can give yourself um i don't think i'm cut out for it really yeah, this podcast is definitely time intensive, like, especially with the game we're going to be talking about in a little bit, like, we kept underestimating exactly how long it would be, and uh, kind of um, ran in under the wire at the last minute to get it done, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah, totally understand uh, stepping away, and uh, best of luck in everything else you're going to work on. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I uh, hopefully this is, you know, like... I'm not going to say, like, hopefully we get to have you guests on Novel Not New. I'm not going to say that here because that's a big commitment, <laughs> even to guest. It's a big commitment. That's part of why you're stepping down. But, like, I I hope this isn't the last time I get the podcast with you. I've really enjoyed doing it. Yeah, I hope so, too. I can see myself. I can see myself coming back for a guest spot here and there if things work out. Um, but because one of the one of the reasons that I had to step down was really kind of the constant like the the constantness of producing this at a regular pace um Mm -hmm. yeah i found it was really just taking up a lot of weight um when i wasn't actively playing the the games i would be kind of thinking about how i'm budgeting my time with regards to playing the games um Mm -hmm. that's difficult yeah i uh i think i handled this this episode probably the worst of any of us um because i spent almost the entire time just stressing about how I should be playing more and not actually playing more, partially because I was having issues with my uh, family shared copy. 
Uh, um, and so finally on Wednesday, I bought a copy on Switch and just started over. Oh, jeez. And the last couple of days have been intense. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. I made it, though. <laughs> you really did go back in time. <laughs> <laughs> me playing through Limbo's Root again. That's right. For me, this is a rerun. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> But yeah, before we dive into the game itself, did y'all have anything else you were playing that you wanted to talk about? Xenoblade Chronicles. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, please. It's time for another Xeno update. Uh, yeah, so I finished I finished Xenoblade Chronicles proper, and then I I started, and I think I'm nearly done with um, Xenoblade Chronicles Future Connected which is like a side story slash like epilogue story that they put out uh, with definitive edition on the Switch, um, which I think fucking rules because Future Connected is like the Melia game. Um, and I love Melia. She's the best Xenoblade party member. Um, so I love just having a little adventure with Melia and Shulk is there. He's fine. Um, and then you get like two adorable little Nopon guys hanging out with you. And it's just it's just the best. It's Melia hanging out with some Nopon. Yeah. Nopon I... these nuts. Oh Wow, six. <laughs> I gotta I gotta hit up all the all the, the highlights, the all-stars before <laughs> before Olivia leaves. <laughs> so how long exactly was that bit? Because I, I find that Traditionally, when games have a another edition down the road and it's they have an extra chapter like this, it typically takes anywhere from thirty minutes to two hours or something like that. Oh, I'm on hour nine. Oh wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they I mean, they make a whole they make a whole new area, um, with like a few little dungeon areas, uh two towns, um, there's a bunch of side quests, um uh, a kind of like collectible thing where you're going around looking for all of these little Nopon called the Pawn Spectres um, and, and joining and like bringing them all together so they can join your team. Um, and I'm trying to, you know, I call it like a soft 100% where I'm trying to do everything that like interests me. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm at about, yeah, I'm about like nine hours and 30 minutes and it's the point where they're like, okay. Uh, some new side quests have popped up, and then at any time you can go like fight the main the main bad guy, um, and finish it. And I've explored everywhere on the map, so I'm pretty sure it's the finale. Huh, okay, yeah, like ten hours seems like a long time for that. Like, um, I'm not sure how long Torn of the Golden Country is supposed to be, but it oh, sounds okay. like they might be similar in length. Torna, I think Torna's even longer. Hold on. Yeah, I think Torna's like a, a like a standalone expansion, like big thing. Oh, yeah, geez. I think I'm going to look it up on how long to beat, but I'm pretty sure like a full completionist um, playthrough of Torna's like 32 hours. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. How long to beat? Uh, oh, 38. Says, uh, yeah, 38 for 100%. For 100%. Wow. Uh, Xenoblade undefeated. The best at eating your time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I played a little bit of Torna to like, ref uh, like refresh my memory of it, but I did not. I did not finish it all the way. 
Mm-hmm. It was just like, yeah, this is this is what Torna is. Uh, it's sad as shit. <laughs> like eighty percent of the cast dies in that game. Jeez. And the other ones go sicko mode, right? Hmm. The other ones go Joker mode for the main game. Yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. It's the story of. I think the funniest thing about Torna as like developmental anecdotes is originally they were going to put the entirety of Torna in the main Xenoblade game. Like in between chapters of Xenoblade Two, you were going to like play through the entirety of Torna as like oh, the like flashback Laguna and FF Eight. Sure. Yeah, it was going to be like, um, you know, we hit a point in the story, and now you're going to flash back to like who at who at that point is the main villain and see his like tragic backstory, um, and then realize who the real bad guys are, and then you would come back Society? to the main game. Uh, the the real bad guy is the Pope. And also sure. the the jock goth the joth if you will. I will not. <laughs> I w- I will then. I feel like the bad guy being the pope is like very classic JRPG storytelling. Oh yeah, yeah. honestly, that feels pretty like subdued for a Xenoblade villain. Um. Well, he's also like implanted. The, uh. Well, I mean, okay, big Xenoblade two spoilers, but he's implanted <laughs> the core crystals of a bunch of blades into him to give himself a bunch of blade powers, and also he can suck the core crystals out of blades and imbue them into himself. Okay, um, that's a little. That's a little closer to what I expect. Sure. Yeah, and he's. It's not just like he's the villain. It's like he's been. He's been orchestrating the entire world economy for 300 years in order to, like, turn Blades into a slave race and profit off oh, eternal the eternal war, war economy. Yeah, he literally made the war economy. <laughs> Does it make it kind of weird, then, that you get new Blades in Xenoblade 2 through, like, this gotcha-style system? Um, I mean, it's... It's kind of weird in that, like, the one of the main villains is, like, totally right. His thing is, like, being a blade is a fucked up thing to be, and I want to kill God for making me this way. And I, he's, entirely, he's right, yeah. Yeah, bro, mm-hmm. like, your entire race is, like, subordinate to all the other races, and you have no culture because, like, you live forever, but they can just kill you to, like, reset your memories at any time. Like, yeah, that's fucked up. You should have Jeez. a word. You should have a word with God about this. Um, but with yeah, a knife. future connected is future connected is a lot of fun. Um, it's just nice to go back to Melia, who like I feel like in main Xenoblade um, <laughs> gets a, gets done really dirty. So it's nice to it's nice to go to future connected and have it's like all right, this one's just about Melia being sad. And thinking about her family relationships, and uh, she has two little adorable uh, children. They're not her kids, but they kind of are her kids. Huh, yeah, that sounds alright. It's been... I have copies of Xenoblade and Xenoblade 2 on my shelf, and uh, I've gotten into 10 hours of them each at various points. So I'd like to just go back to one and play through the whole thing, see how that goes. Do it. <laughs> yeah, play, play, play through Xenoblade 1. It's a yeah. good game. And Xenoblade 1's great. Uh, the last thing I wanted to say about Future Connected is that the two new uh, Nopon party members are basically just like copies mechanically of two of the main game party members. Um, and one of the party members that gets copied in the original game had a mechanic where she had like a gun 
that she would use mm. her skills from. And when she used too much of her skills, the gun would overheat and you would have to cool it off. Mm-hmm. Now, the way that they adopt this for the Napon party member is that he has anxiety. And when he <laughs> uses his skills, his anxiety gauge goes up and he needs to cool. He needs to, like, calm down in the middle of a fight if he does too much fighting. And oh. Shulk's not in your party, right? Shulk is in the party. He is? Well, then why is this a problem? Because every time Sharla did anything, Shulk goes, Sharla, nice, in such a sincere way that all my anxiety would melt away. Uh, that's not how Shulk works in the original game. <laughs> that's how it worked in the original. I played. I mean, he was really nice. That incre- He's a nice boy. Okay, but mechanically, <laughs> uh, mechanically, Kino's anxiety is still there. I guess that's fair. <laughs> the other, the other party member who gets who gets uh, their kit copied is Ryan. So you have like this like giant pink Napon tank who's <laughs> just spinning around a giant Napon club, and it's really good. I love Nene so much. All right. Well, I'll, I'll get to that someday. I think. But when she gets her like getting to low health quote, she goes, "Nene, not feeling very wonder marvelicious." <laughs> It's like, yeah, you're not. <laughs> Sorry about that. How about you, Six? Have you, uh, I know that you've been incredibly busy these past few weeks. Have you had any time to get anything in? Uh, so I am taking a pass on the story part of this. I can talk about a game that okay. I've talked about everywhere else, so no one will care. I like Gran Turismo. <laughs> <laughs> um,. I've been doing races and stuff while editing podcasts because I can't do anything story focused while editing a podcast because I'm listening to other people and I can't listen to your game. I'm sorry. Um, But you know what I like? Cars. A lot of cars. Yeah. It's been interesting, like seeing having my biases tested by Gran Turismo, right? Um, I had a little bit of this discussion on our, our the episode we recorded about Gran Turismo 7. We did a whole podcast about it, and yet I'm still fucking here barking on. Um, but like, okay, let's talk about let's talk about nature versus nurture, right? No, not actually. Let's talk about the way cars are intended to be. You have a motor, you have wheels. You hook the motor up to the wheels, right? If the motor's in the front, clearly it should hook up to the wheels in the front, and if the motor's in the back, it should hook up to the wheels in the back. That's just logic. Right? Sure. Why would you have a motor in the front and then hook it up to the wheels in the back? I don't know. It's just making the power travel to Well, apparently, because it makes the car way better. Okay. That's what I figured out. I went in being like, okay, it's like the, the way they use it is like F, F is like front, front, you know, front engine, front wheels, and then FR for front, but back wheels, mm-hmm. etc. And I was in like, okay, FF is good. RR is good. Four wheel drive is good. Anything else is unnatural. Um, turns out FF cars suck shit. They're terrible. Huh. Because of a thing called torque steering, apparently if you have the engine hooked up to the front wheels, for some reason I don't understand when the engine sort of like like pulls in one way or another, it makes the car turn even if you don't turn the steering wheel, and that's bad. That does seem bad. Um So and then I and then it's like you're getting like, okay, well this is MR. It's like what? It's like are the engines in the middle? Like where? Like between the seats? Where? What are we? What are we doing here? Um, 
And then also you get sort of tested because you're like, okay, well, MRs are cool. I drove I drove this like French rally car that was sick as hell. Let me get this uh, Ford GT. And then you hit the accelerator and you touch the wheel and the thing spins 720 degrees. And you're like, okay, what? why did that happen to me? Um, I guess what I'm saying is there is no logic or sense to whether or not a car is good. You just get it and you drive it and you find out. It's all about vibes. It's all about vibes. It's all about the car spirit. Yeah, I'd like, nothing shocked me more than learning that one of my favorite cars to drive in this game is a fucking Camaro. Like, what? I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means either. Mustangs. I drove some Mustangs. They suck. I drove, like, a Dodge Charger. Fuck it. Hate them. Like, a Firebird. Dog shit. American Muscle. Poop. But the Camaro's really cool. It's a good car. I don't get it. Yeah, Baby, uh, I'm still free. Take a chance on me. <laughs> yeah, I've been playing Gran Turismo 7 as well, and I'm pretty much the same place that 6 is, at least in terms of, like, getting into a Camaro and realizing, oh shit, this controls super well. Like, I figured all of my favorites would be all the various um, Japanese rally and touring cars, just because they're in a bunch of shows and movies that I've happened to see before. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah surprisingly Camaro is kind of incredible when you take it out of the track and just put a bunch of power behind it. I even like, I drove like a Supra and I was like, this is fine, I guess. And then I drove a different Supra and I was like, this is one of the most fun cars I've ever driven. Partially this is cause the, the other Supra had like just a really great gear shift where every time, you know, your character, I have it on auto. So your character automatically changes the gift for you, or the, the gear for you, but you see them take their hand off the wheel and then you hear this ka-chunk and it's like, yeah, <laughs> get it. <laughs> yeah. Or you have one of those little, whatever they call it when they put the gear shift on the steering wheel itself. So you just see them make little hand motions to, um, raise or lower the gear that's kind of fun yeah it's weird but i guess i guess it works i think that's how like 90 percent of uh video game racing wheels work just because like it's easier than having a transmission box sitting out somewhere in addition to all the other shit you have to put in your living room to make this work transmission box is fun though you you played you played cruising USA. You know how fun it is to do the like the back and forth to get the little turbo like the wheelie. Oh yeah, great arcade game. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any car thoughts, Olivia? No, and they're gonna take they're <laughs> gonna take away my Butch certification for it one day. But I start thinking about cars, and my brain just like turns off. Listen, what we're gonna do is I'm gonna commission. I'll pick a car for you. I'm gonna commission art of you like leaning on the hood of like a like a a, let's say a shelby cobra that's a classic and then no one will ever question you they'll just leave it alone cars brewing this henry ford fucked this country (laughs) you're not wrong (laughs) but (laughs) that's that is one of the weirdest parts of gran turismo by the way is that not henry ford exactly but you sort of brought so there's um it, the whole game is like structured around a cafe for car lovers that you go to all the time and that's where you get your missions until you beat the main story. Yeah, I've seen um, a lot of surreal screenshots of these of these conversations that happen at the car cafe. Yeah, because like first of all there's just the the guy who owns it who gives you your missions, but also there's Chris 
the the old guy who's obsessed with selling cars and you show up and you're like, oh, that's a nice car. It's sell real nice. And you're like, Chris, what the fuck, man? But also it's like they have like different conversations for each car and like special events. So it's like you show up in, I don't know, again, just another random example, but like you show up in a fucking Pontiac and it's like, hi, I'm the CEO of GM. That's a great car. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Uh, now I googled the I googled the Shelby the Shelby Cobra and that's a funky looking little dude. It's a good pal, isn't it? Just just a little guy. I'll forgive this guy for destroying public infrastructure in my country. You see how the front grow? He's just got teeth. He does. He's got his goofy little teeth. I mean, so I I think I think you leaning on that would would would, would erase any questions about your butchness. Okay, <laughs> sure. I just Your gotta find necessity. one. I, we could again. We could commission the art, and uh, I'll pay the artist extra to say it's based on a photo we took. <laughs> yeah. In terms of what I've been playing, like I've kind of been stuck in a Gran Turismo hole as well. But uh, <laughs> earlier this Friday, um, earlier this past week uh ghostwire tokyo came out and i started playing that on my pc and uh that game has a bizarre setup like essentially it's raining in tokyo and your character is basically collapsed on the pavement after getting into a car wreck there's this ghost named kk who sees you and is like oh perfect i have a host now and you're Clinging to life to a small degree so that you're still conscious when he comes into your body, but also, like, you have this weird fucking black mist all, all over the right side of your face. So when pedestrians come to get you back up, they're like, oh, okay, is everything all right? And they take one look and just scream and run the opposite direction. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it Tokyo has been surrounded in this mist... Everyone has kind of been raptured into these small golden boxes uh, by this man in a demon mask. And uh, you're basically going around. It's basically a first person shooter with open world elements. And uh, you're basically going around shooting a bunch of ghosts and demons with your fingers while rescuing various spirits that are floating above you, taking them to a telephone box and... uh, basically pressing them against the receiver so that they can all get sucked up and go to a safe place. And, uh, yeah, it's a really bizarre game. Just the thing that's really appealing to me about it is the little missions where it's like, okay, um, we're going to spend some time teaching you what a Kappa is and how to catch it. Like there's a cat, there's a Kappa that stole a little boy's like Makatama style necklace and, you basically go over to a pond, put a cucumber on a ledge. You hide behind a statue and keep dodging around the statue while the kappa scopes out the place, being like, oh, is it really safe to eat here? And while he's chowing down, you capture him. And it's full of little moments like that that are pretty cool, but a lot of the other moments feel like they are just far cry reskinned into um, this specific spectral ghost situation and spook cry (laughs) yeah and like 
I do think the setting is pretty nice looking, and there's all sorts of interesting elements to it. Like, whenever it's raining, it's actually ra If you look closely at the droplets, they're actually all just the kanji for rain falling down on you. But, uh, yeah, I feel like people... I feel like this game has been talked about for so many years that people went in expecting something a little bolder than what's here. But uh, hmm. if you just want to go around shooting a bunch of uh, demons and uh, interacting with various uh, Japanese superstitions, it's that part can be pretty fun. I feel like if a Kappa stole my necklace, I'd just be like, well, I guess the Kappa has the necklace now. <laughs> I'm not afraid kind of, of the like, Kappa. Uh, I'll fight him. Give him that shit back. He's a Kappa. He'll drown you. He's just a guy. <laughs> so is fucking... A half, a, imagine I had a clever reference ready. Shit. <laughs> no matter what you said, I would have just gone, yeah, I could beat that guy too. <laughs> if I had the right reference, you would have been wrong, though. <laughs> It uh, it gets funnier the more intimidating the guy you pick is, though. If you're like, ah, oh, oh, so as a fucking uh, werewolf, I'd be like, yeah, I could be a werewolf, too. Uh, okay, um, could you beat Jesus? I could beat Jesus. Jesus, literally just a guy. Once again, that That's was true. the whole point. Yeah, but I mean, like, you could make so much bread. <laughs> No, he couldn't. He needs an equivalent amount of wine. Again. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. No. No, wait. He turned Inaccurate. water into wine. Yeah. Yes. What did he <laughs> didn't turn wine into bread. <laughs> maybe, maybe he wanted people to eat a little healthier. <laughs> that would be the most amazing parable. Listen, uh, it's been a very long time since I've been in Episcopal school. Fair, fair. Yeah, I guess right, that well. about does it for. <laughs> I guess that about does it for what we've played. So, we should move on to the main star of the show, Busta Fellows, um, which is a Atome visual novel um, set in an alternate reality New York. Um, well, I guess we don't know if it is an alternate reality New York or just a different city entirely because. No, it's they definitely just... New York. Okay. It's definitely New York. It's definitely an alternate New York. I was so certain that it was alternate reality, but then they started being like, hey, y'all ever watched Snowden before? And it's like, are they just seriously referencing actual films in this? What the fuck? Yeah, it's, I mean, actual actual films exist, but there there are like random substitutes like New York for New Sieg. Yep. And there's a fake, like, fake L.A., also that they bring up uh um, but also uh but also the main character's parents go to real literal las vegas yeah and i think they just casually mention places like colorado as well just very pick pick and choose about what they're gonna substitute um i think it's basically just so that they don't <laughs> basically just so nobody can call them about inaccuracies in their portrayal of new york yeah yeah, that that's definitely fair. No one in New York drinks Corona. That's just not real. No, that 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 part's that part's accurate. <laughs> uh, 
trying not I'm tr- I'm trying not to be the guy who lives in New York on this episode, but I've got a few little You're points. failing. You're already doing badly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you play a investigative reporter um named I might butcher the name just because I played with my custom name. Um Teuta Bridges. Teuta. Yeah, Teuta Bridges. And uh she happens to have the ability to go back in time Except it's only a set amount of time, and also she's inhabiting a different body when she does it. Anyway, uh, she is trying to get the scoop of the century, basically get this crooked lawyer, Limbo Fitzgerald, to talk to her for an interview. But uh, as she's chasing Limbo down, uh, she happens to see him get gunned down in broad daylight. So she does her thing talks to Limbo in a different body and is like, hey, trust me, you don't want to be here at this specific time. And um, goes back. And um, since she arranged a meeting with uh, Limbo after the fact, like Limbo is joined by his bodyguard slash assassin of sorts, Shu. And uh, they're like, hey, if you know this much about us, we're pro- we're not going to just let you go per se (laughs) so she gets pulled into a situation where one thing leads to another she's living in this house with five other men who all are all part of the same like they're basically part of a criminal enterprise except they're using it's a gang it's referred to as a gang a few times and they they are a gang yeah they're basically a gang of uh hyper rich people who all have their various connections within the city and uh, the law in general. And uh, she basically goes on adventures with them where they like solve cases, uh, transfer the money over to themselves and uh, dive deeper into new SIG's various uh, mysteries. So it's a deep exploration of the, the dark side of fake New York. <laughs> yeah, th- this game talks a lot about uh, immigration and uh, just generally how hu- human trafficking... Th- they don't exactly explain human trafficking super well, but they get into those details and uh, yeah, you just get pulled from one dangerous situation to the other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's like the things that come up, it's like, um, kind of like immigration, um, like forced labor of immigrants, uh, like corrupt corporations, um, gangsters, um, (laughs) there's like a, there's like a serial killer at a high school in one route, um, yeah, that and one? the high school is also part of, like, a conspiracy itself, because, like, the academy, as or ac- academia, um, their whole situation is also very work from the shadows. I love that high school because it's just, like, Columbia campus, but for a high school. <laughs> like, at first I thought they were just doing Columbia, and I'm like, okay, okay, and then they're like, oh, this is a high school, and I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> And it's weird because, like, for a minute, I was like, oh, they probably localized that. I was like, wait, if they localized it, they'd make it a, a college from, a, a like, a high school. They wouldn't... What's going on? Why? It's like a fusion... It's like a fusion of Columbia with, like, um... Brooklyn Tech? What is that? 
it, it it's like a fusion of um it, it's like a fusion of like a college campus but like yeah like brooklyn tech like a very like like a prestigious fancy high school there's like a few or not necessarily fancy but like high achievement high schools that exist in new york um there's a lot of fun in this game of like I, things that i personally find very enjoyable is like writing about things that are like new york and also american from like a japanese perspective um and it's fun to see the way that like kind of like american tropes filter over there or that like japanese tropes come into this game um there's a character in the game called carmen who is like the very japanese trope of like the trans woman bar owner who just like that <laughs> just doesn't exist in american culture um mm-hmm. but she's just there um and that's always uh that's like it's very interesting to me to see where, like, she pop, you know, a character like that will pop in into, like, this otherwise very, like, American milieu. Yeah, and this bar also operates like a cat cafe because Carmen can't cook for shit, so she is just constantly ordering food from other restaurants and uh, bringing it here. Honestly, queen. <laughs> fake it, fake it. If you can't, like, if you can't do it legit, fake it. That's Carmen's, that's Carmen's ethos. Um, also, she's like a tech mogul, so like, <laughs> yeah. I guess I guess we figured out how she has like the money uh, to run this place um, because she owns Twitter. She owns Twitter, although Twitter doesn't make very much money. So maybe maybe it's the opposite. Maybe the fact that she owns Twitter is why she needs to run the restaurant. Or maybe I mean, this is alternate reality New York, right? This is a modified New York, and maybe this is a modified Twitter where it makes money. Oh. I don't know how it would, because Full Circle is like, what if Twitter had, like, a vaguely anti-capitalist bent? Yeah, and people also treated it like um, that awful fucking citizen app where people just constantly report crimes and where they are and uh, Mm -hmm. use that to source information. Yeah, multiple times uh, the Bostafellos gang will just kind of like ruin somebody's reputation by getting an incriminate, like an incriminating recording of them and posting it on Full Circle, just for everyone to like descend in a rabbit horde on. Um, yeah, <laughs> they are coordinating harassment campaigns on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, the villain always has, like, a bit at the end, like, what are you gonna do, shoot me, arrest me? I'm too big for that. And they're like, nah, we got you on this live stream, you're fucked now. <laughs> you will You will never prove to anyone that I killed that guy. <laughs> what are you gonna do, you gonna take me for a judge? The judge won't believe it if you tell them I said the truth about how much I love murdering children. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this game is also deceptively huge. Like, the first four chapters, I'd say, go by pretty quickly. Like, mm-hmm. you can get through them in maybe six to nine hours or something like that. And, and, it's got a, and it's got a very kind of, like, I would say, like, serial TV format. Um, everything is, like, everything is framed as an episode. Um, and the first four chapters are very much just like, well, here's like the problem we're solving this week. Here's what we do to solve the problem. Um, we're going to put Toyota like in these like situations with these, you know, with like these guys and then, you know, solve the problem and drop a little teaser for next time. Um, and it's very breezy like that. 
Yeah. And then you get to the fifth episode, which is basically it hinges on whoever you've been getting closer to in the game. And those are like, at times those feel like they're almost like 1.5 or two times as large as the normal episodes. And there's like five of those. Each one has their own side A and side B, including bad endings. Mm -hmm. Then there's the true ending and then there's the true, true ending. So it adds up when you least expect it to add up. Mm -hmm. And then also, though, we're not probably going to cover them because I don't think any any of us got through all of them. But there's also a bunch of like bonus vignettes. And if you watch all of those and get all the bad ends, then you get the Joker playthrough. Which is, I understand, pretty short and, and pretty light. But mm-hmm. and I'm not just even... if you want to spend more time with these characters, you know. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in the game, which is just kind of like, you know, um, in that vein of spending more time with the characters. Like, uh, Jen referenced uh, side Bs. And, like, when you, when you complete a guy's route, you unlock what's called a side B, which is basically just like a fluff chapter where they'll go over some stuff you know, that was kind of left over from the guy's route, but it's mostly about just, like, hanging out and how their relationship with Teuda will, like, develop further on. Um, Mm -hmm. Most of it is just like, oh, here's, like, a small conflict that we're having and how we deal with it. Yeah, though some conflicts are a little bit bigger than others. Like, with uh, Mozu's side (laughs) B, he's like, yeah, you know that brother that disappeared a while ago? I might have been the one to dispose the body of your brother um, <laughs> before, like, an hour into that route after that he says that. He's like, yeah, I don't really know that for sure. I don't know why I told you that. <laughs> it's because he's... It's I mean, he's almost certainly right, though. Oh, he's definitely right. But now that I've played the true ending, it's fine. <laughs> actually, Mozu, <laughs> you did a... Com- Mozu, that was community service, actually. Uh, yeah god <laughs> okay i i think we should go over the boys just kind of like um in order and then like i I don't know do we want to do like uh like a skeletal structure of what their roots are yeah that seems like a good idea to me like we get into their characteristics or whatever and uh get into what their roots entail mm-hmm. okay limbo <laughs> Oh, uh, fucking limbo. <laughs> so we're going in reverse quality order. Is that the plan? That's what <laughs> That's what I <laughs> I'm always just observing do. what you've what you've seemed to have started us off with. When I was talking to a friend about this game, he uh they said something that was so funny to me. They said something like um they made kind of an assumption about which route that I went with first and they said, "Well, you always start bottom up with these games with the worst guy first. I was like, damn, okay. <laughs> but I didn't do that because I did Limbo's route last. Oh, oof. Yeah. Bummer. I did it first. I got it out of the way. <laughs> so Limbo Limbo is a defense attorney from like a super rich Jewish family. I feel like this is not, this is a lot of stuff with Limbo is not really brought up, but his name is Limbo Fitzgerald and he's a lawyer. So he's pretty Jewish coded to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he is. It's like one of those things where like a defense attorney has this like scummy reputation just for doing his job. Um, 
Because it seems like what Limbo actually does is, like, be a competent lawyer and do a lot of pro bono work for undocumented immigrants. But everyone is like, oh, Limbo's such a fucking scumbag. Yeah, it's the funniest thing, too, because, like, his his quote-unquote corruption is just him pointing out very basic elements of the <laughs> American legal system, while the judge is like, damn you, Limbo, how dare you? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how being a like judges do get mad when you point out a piece. Of, uh, when you when you go like, "Hey, this evidence was improperly co- co- collected and is thus inadmissible in court," everyone will be like, "Fuck you!" Or when the judge is like, "Hey, I you you shouldn't be. Why is this person staying silent? You have to give testimony. You're not allowed to be quiet. What do you got to hide?" He's like, "Have you heard of the, the amendments? Like, have you heard of the Fifth Amendment?" And the judge is just blatantly like, "Well, fuck that." It's like this is a bad judge. <laughs> yeah. So limbo, limbo's root. Is that he he has a guy called Navid who is a former colleague of his um, from his like, I don't know much about being a lawyer, but it seems like they were both in law school and also working at a law firm at the same time. Unclear. Mm-hmm. Um, no, this seems like what happened. Yeah, they were working mm-hmm. on like human trafficking cases involving um, undocumented immigrants and Navid bought a woman. He just straight up bought a woman, and Limbo uh, got him arrested, and uh, his got his like law license revoked, and then the woman, then the woman's child died, and the woman herself committed suicide. Um, so Limbo's root is that Navid shows back up um, after like uh, six years, five years, some indeterminate amount of time, and is the Joker now. Um, and is doing, like, a bunch of plots to, like, put Limbo through hell and, like, go after his loved ones. Um, nanomachines are involved. <laughs> Teoda goes back in time. Uh, Limbo has to briefly die um, so that he doesn't get killed by nanomachines. Um, and then Navid dies? He dies in the end, right? Yeah, he yeah, does. Like- he tries to do like a mutually assured. He tries to do like a mutual death thing with Limbo, but because Limbo survives, uh, Navid just dies, and then Teoda's like, "By the way, I like you." <laughs> yeah, um, Navid does this thing where like he meets Limbo for dinner to like bygones speak bygones, and already has this wine prepared, and uh, basically you can choose to just let Limbo drink or try and be like, okay, no, we're switching glasses. But as it turns out, Navid put machines in both the glasses. So when his plan doesn't go well, he's like, oh shit, I'm just going to use the machines to die myself then. He thought he was killing Limbo too. Um, he like activates the nanomachines before Limbo goes like, oh, well, uh, we engineered it. So I was clinically dead for a few minutes and that like made the nanomachines stop working. But now I'm back, mm-hmm. and I'm not dead. Oh, okay. Because for some reason I thought that, like, it was a separate button press for him to activate the nanomachines in him as well. I think it was I think it was just, like, both of them. Because um, he, wanted, he wanted to die, and he also wanted to kill Limbo as well. Um, because it's this whole thing where Navid is like, I love that woman that I bought, and I just wanted to make her happy. And 
surprisingly few people in this game are like, all right, you fucking predator. <laughs> like, they take his, they take his, like, protestation that he, like, fell in love with this woman and had to buy her for her own happiness, like, very seriously. Um, in a way that I don't buy because Navid is a creep. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, <clears throat> every single one of these routes starts with, like, the, 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 like, the unique chapter starts with introducing a new character with their own sprite, and you're like, oh, so this person's a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, with the exception of the route for Mozu, because they introduced two new characters there, and it's like, okay, one of them's probably fine. Well, I mean, they introduce a young girl after they introduce the big creepy professor. Yeah, I feel like I mean, it's not much of a... <laughs> that was, there wasn't really a question The there. actual subversion is Shoes route, where they introduce yeah. a new person who you think is going to be a serial killer, but uh, then they turn out to be pretty chill. Well, he is... They are technically a serial killer. Okay, but like, so is Shu then. <laughs> Yeah, sure, sure. They they kill a bunch of Yang killed a bunch of people on the same level as Shu killed a bunch of people, and we like Shu, so we like Yang. Oh, I love Yang. Yang's great. Yang Yang, Yang rules. But anyway, Yang Gang, Yang Gang. <laughs> you can't say that. <laughs> it means a oh no! Thing. <laughs> I, I guess we could dive into Shu now since we're already bringing him up. Like, uh... I just want to say real briefly. Um, I, Limbo was the worst guy for me because I feel like his character, he doesn't really have like traits that are strong enough to stick out. And I think his root is like incredibly underbaked. I don't really feel for anything that happens in that root. Um, and I think yeah. it's just kind of boring as a love interest. Yeah. And it's weird because mm -hmm. like, I feel like the developers designed him in a way that he's clearly supposed to be, like, the first or, like, main thing you go into. Like, mm -hmm. I think also you, he has the most preview scenes of him just uh, making out with uh, Tuta here. and uh, Well, he's, like, on the cover, like, princess carrying Teuta. So, like, yeah. if there's a main boy of this game, it's him, but he's really boring. Yeah. On the opposite end of the spectrum, you have Shu, who is uh, a killer of killers. His whole thing is just, like, if there's someone that's on his list or someone who basically kills... Who basically does assassin work for money, he decides that's enough to more or less, okay, I'm going to find a way to take them out. And uh, he was past a... Basically, he was taught by a mentor, um, basically his entire code... And that mentor also had a list of people that uh, she needed to off in the future. Um, essentially, what happens is that the mentor gets offed instead. And Shu assumes, like, from coming onto the scene that... Uh, what's the other person's name again? Uh, Yang. Yang. That Yang is responsible. And uh, Yang also runs off with, like one of the pages, which means that um, Shu is missing both the complete list and also the one photo he has of all three of them together. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, you basically get to a situation where Yang shows up, is like, okay, I need you to kill this... I, I need you to kill the senator because 
Well, I need I need you to basically kill the person who's gonna try and kill the senator, um, because this assassin happens to be on the list. But uh, right as she was getting set up for the shot, he looks where he was thinking the killer would be, and oh, there's Yang, and oh, the senator has been shot anyway, and everyone suspects you because he was basically ratted out. But as it turns out, Yang set that up on purpose to protect you, which... Yeah, the idea is that, like, uh, they wanted Shu in prison. Um, like, they basically set up Shu, but not good enough that Shu would actually be convicted, with the hope that Shu would be in prison and basically have a perfect alibi for when Yang, like, actually went to fight that assassin. Um, who was the last person on the list, so that the list would be completed and Shu and Yang would be free. And I think Yang was basically like, well, if I die doing this, that's fine too. Um, the idea was to like keep Shu out of it, uh, but of course this only ensures that Shu is in it. Yeah. And they break Shu out, they break Shu out of prison, uh, kill the assassin, and then like reconcile with Yang, who at the very last minute is revealed to be incredibly transgender. Yeah, like, there's a bit where I don't know what uh, gets Teta's attention, but at some point, Teta's just like, Hey, Yang, are you a woman? And Yang's like, let's not talk about this. <laughs> and what, 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 gets, what gets her attention is that <clears throat> they're having a conversa- conversation because Tuta got kidnapped and, and beat up. And Shu is like, and, and Yang is like, uh, we better get you to a hospital. Women scar easily. And Shu is like, I mean, if that's the case, shouldn't we have them look at you? Oh, right, yeah. It's, and they just sort of walk right past that. It's also right. It's also during that scene that she sees the picture of everybody, like everybody together. So like a young Shu and Yang. Um, I'll be honest, I did not look at the picture hard <laughs> enough to like have any suspicions about Yang's gender. Um. And then you can't really go back and see it because it's, as far as I could see, it's not like an unlockable CG. Um, so if there was like something it, visually hmm. about Yang's appearance as like a teenager that tipped Teoda off, I did not see it. Hmm. I kind of want to check this, but I would interrupt the flow of the podcast, so I will not. It also doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah. It's also worth pointing out that, in general, Shu's attitude throughout most of the game is just, like, he's very gruff and to the point and isn't willing to participate in much things. But, like, if you get him talking about something he cares about, like, the history with his mentor, he'll get pretty sappy and just, like, talk about it like it's the good old days and stuff. He's so cute. That's my fucking boyfriend. It's also worth noting that uh, he voice acts Orga from Iron-Blooded Orphans. Same guy. Hell yeah. <laughs> a guy who yeah. would be my boyfriend if he wasn't, like, 16. God. Yeah, uh, Shu is a secret softy, and also you uh, you get the you get that one great shot where he's coming back from a kill, and he's just covered in blood, and his eyes are all glowing, and I think it's Scarecrow that's like, oh yeah, he, he gets like that after a kill. Just give him a moment, he'll be fine. <laughs> Then, like, 30 minutes later, Teoda is eating an entire ice cream <laughs> carton on the couch, and he just pu- sits down and is like, oh, sick, ice cream, and steals it. <laughs> yeah, Teoda just eats constantly in this. 
I think it's woke that she sometimes will eat an entire carton of ice cream by herself. It's <laughs> good. Or be like, we're ordering the entire menu here, and we'll eat a decent amount of what's on the menu. That wasn't her. No, that was uh, yeah, that, that was that was Shoe and Crow. Yeah, that was oh yeah, Shoe and Crow. <laughs> There's a scene where they're like, okay, like. Mosu's out, and Mosu yells at us when we do this, so what we're gonna do is we're going to order everything from this one takeout place, and then later they're like, hey, help, we accidentally hit order three times, so we have way too much fucking food here. (laughs) And that's Mosu's route, so Mosu's like, no, I'm with my girlfriend, die. And then they're like, no! (laughs) One 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 thing I really like about this game is that, like, all the guys remain like uh, as a presence, even when you're doing a specific guy's route. Um, so you do get a lot of like good little moments of like every character, uh, even if you don't do their roots. Um, mm. Yeah, you know, and and that's good. Um, mm. I like that they all get to be like a presence throughout the game. I actually think Scarecrow is is way better on other guys' roots than his own roots. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Scarecrow in particular is good at like taking people aside and being like, look, I know you're going through something very specific right now, but you need to tell us what's happening here. We're like a team. We're a family. We do shit together. I I, I think he's really fun when he's like being super supportive of Teuda's relationship, uh, but only because he has a huge crush on her himself. So whenever <laughs> he's like adm- admonishing one of the other boys for being a bad boyfriend. Yeah. Or like the bit where Limbo falls asleep um, drunk on the couch on Teida's lap and Scarecrow just, his way of thinking about it is like, oh, this isn't fair. And the others are like, really, Scarecrow? You want to think about what you're saying here? And he's like, no, 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 I didn't mean it like that. And he'll hide his face behind his hands. He's like, I'm just saying it's an injustice. I'm just saying that should be me. (laughs) He's such a little freak. Yeah, perhaps we should tackle. So we went from worst boy to the best best root, if not best boy. That's that's up for, for me. Time, that's best right? boy. You guys can disagree, but uh, I I think that's my boyfriend. Th- he teaches Teoda to kill. Yeah, I mean, if if he'd done a if he if the root had let me do more, I would have been more interested. Um, <laughs> she didn't have a gun. Is the thing. He has lots of guns. He could have lent me a gun. He could have been like, hey, I shot this one in the leg. Can you finish him off for me? And I'd be like, that's love right there. <laughs> well, okay. The other thing about Shu is that he has, like, he has a habit of, like, wanting to keep Teoda out of, like, the grittier and, like, shadier parts of his life as, like, an act of, of wanting to keep the warrior off her. Oh, sorry. Well, yes. Yeah. Cowardice, <laughs> but from his point of view, he thinks it's like a kindness to her. So he would, sure. he taught her to kill, but he would not actually put her in a situation where she had to kill. Um. Yeah. Like, there's a bit earlier in, like, the main route of the game where a younger boy who grew up in a rough part of the neighborhood that a lot of these other characters come from, um... He ends up uh, taking a pistol and killing a pretty significant boss. And she's basically scolding him like, I-, I kept telling you, you do not want to get your hands bloody. Like, it's a thing I can do because I'm already fucked up, but I'm not going to let you do this. And uh, yeah, you basically reverse that so that 
the kid doesn't kill that person. And also Shu gets to set up a, a like show version of that so that the kid realizes how terrible it is to actually shoot someone. Mm-hmm. My confession is that I started doing the Yellow Rose of Texas thing at work when I have to make calls that I don't want to do. <laughs> it's a it's a trick that Shu teaches Teoda when he's like teaching her how to shoot a rifle is like in order to like you have to commit yourself to doing something so like he has a song that he starts to sing like just one line of and when he gets to the last word of that line he pulls the trigger and so I, just, I started doing that for calls at work it's actually it's actually quite helpful to just like tell yourself all right five seconds i'm gonna do this thing and then you have to do it yeah and it feels a little less uh rote than just actually counting down from five Mm -hmm. yeah um well yeah uh next then we have uh the the middle boy scarecrow yeah he is (laughs) he is uh the boss of the underworld he's a super hacker um, and he made an, he made like a omnipotent AI, basically. Um, uh, he pretty much just like lives in his house. He has no job other than like doing hacking stuff. Um, and he's like a gigantic, huge dork. Um, yeah. Like, did you look up where his brooch was from? Like it, it gives you that as a tooltip, And apparently it's like the symbol of a boss from a video game within that world. <laughs> God. Yeah, they they all everyone lives in a big house together and it's like Scarecrow's big house that he got with like mob money that he stole. Um he's essentially the housewife of the group. There's multiple yep. there's multiple scenes where everybody goes out to take care of their shit and Scarecrow's like, "Oh, I don't have anything to do. I guess I'll watch the house." <laughs> um, yeah, though he doesn't cook. That's Moses' thing. Yeah. He's the he's a useless housewife and honestly, good for him. <laughs> yeah, his route is that in addition to being like a hacker and a housewife, he was also a cyber terrorist. Um and he faked his death in order to escape like indentured servitude at this tech company um that his dad used to work for and he thinks his dad is dead, but it turns out his dad is actually alive um and also that he has like um this trauma that sometimes makes him dissociate and like get really violent in order to like when he thinks his life is threatened um so he like both wants to be in a relationship with Teuda but he's worried about hurting her um but they go through a bunch of hijinks and save his dad and kind of like help him repair his relationship with his dad and kind of like you know reconcile him his his past um and then he and Teuda get together. Yeah, an interesting thing to note, like, and this applies to the other routes as well, is that uh, basically you do have moments where you're either nice or loving to one of the other characters, and uh, that kind of nudges you toward their route, but the main thing that gets you on each person's route is, like, this personality test that they give you um, halfway through. and mm-hmm. uh, From Anime and inter- Hannibal. Yeah, anime Hannibal. And the interesting thing about that is that, like, if you, like, pay attention to Teita after that test and just the route that you're going on, 
like, she ends up having traits that are closer to whoever you're going with. Like, when she's trying to open up the notice for her award, um, Scarecrow comes over to her and ends up ping-ponging the anxiety that she has onto himself. And, like, also in the Route B, like, their idea of a date is... They have the most disastrous date imaginable, and it's amazing. Like, they decide, okay, we're gonna go out and have a picnic, except the sandwiches weren't made perfectly, it's raining. When they get there, it's not raining anymore, but it's all muddy. And Scarecrow happened to drive right into um, a mud patch so that the truck is stuck. So when they try and leave, (laughs) Scarecrow gets behind the car and is trying to lift it up. While Tata's just slamming on the gas, spinning all sorts of mud on top of Scarecrow. <laughs> and then they just go to the trunk. They just go to the back of the car and have a mud fight before coming home and angering everyone because they're tracking mud all over the goddamn place. <laughs> Disastrous. Uh, the two best parts of that side B are when Scarecrow has the line where he's like, It doesn't matter if you hate me. I mean, it actually does. It matters to me a lot, but you know what I mean. Um, and then also. <laughs> you get a, a screen which is like Teoda's sprite and Scarecrow's sprite right next to each other, and he just looks like shit, just ab- absolutely dripless. His outfit is terrible, his hair is terrible, and Teoda's just saying, he's my boyfriend, teehee. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, the thing that it, I feel like it suffers because, like, you know, it, this is an Otome game, and they're trying to lean into, like, you know, the perceived desire of the player with each route, mm-hmm. right? And so they're like, oh, if you're going for Scarecrow, you just love when someone's a loser. You just love when they're so lame and such a dweeb. And it just makes like... I do I do like when a guy's such a dweeb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Admittedly, like, I played through without looking at a guide for my first route. And the first one I landed onto was Scarecrow. So I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> I just, I feel like... There is a way to do this that, like, I feel like I lost characterization for Scarecrow that I wanted because they were so obsessed with showing how much of a loser he is at all the time. Mm-hmm. There's an like, there's an idea yeah. of Scarecrow in his root that I kind of like more than what they what he actually comes out as. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because he has this, you know, in the kind of like disassociative trauma thing, he has this idea of. Um, that he's somebody that is, like, so shaped by this, um, kind of, like, unremembered and unreckoned with past that he worries about, like, the kind of person that he could become in the future. Um, he actually has a really good line where he says that, like, he plays up being a weird loserish oaf because he is, like, afraid of the threat that he could pose to somebody, um... And so when he is, like, a huge loser, it's his way of, like, proving to himself that he's not, like, a predator or, like, threatening people. Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's a really good character moment. But in the end, he kind of of just is, like, a, you know, he is just kind of, like, a big loser. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I found his his whole thing to be very charming, Uh, even if... I feel like that might have been colored somewhat just by the fact that I got him first, but also um, he stayed up there a bit for me until I got to everyone else. Yeah. I do think he's a better supporting character than, like, the main love interest. Um, mm-hmm. 
he has a lot of very like good moments in the other roots of you know like trying to be supportive but also being like very clumsy and awkward himself so mm-hmm. yeah he gets things to work out in the end but he's like really like there's in the shoe side b um Teuda is like worried about her relationship status with Shu um because he hasn't been very explicit about what they are so Scarecrow volunteers to like um sneak in there really smooth and like get him to get Shu to ask her out on a proper date and all the guys see through him immediately and like make him tell Shu directly that Teuda's worried about uh their relationship so that he has to go like you know fix it mm-hmm the great vibes yeah. of all the guys chanting, tell us, tell us, tell us. And he, <laughs> Scarecrow just folding because he has no backbone. Yeah. Yeah, I like him a lot more as a character than I like his root. Mm-hmm. Um, his root isn't terrible, but I just, I don't, I don't feel like it does him a whole lot of favors. So that's, for, for me, that's why he's middle of the pack is like, overall, I think I like him as a character. I just don't, they don't do a good job of, for me, of setting him up as a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we also have uh, Helvetica, who, um, he he is the one that immediately, like, from the word go, he's basically giving a very bad impression. Like, he's he's basically a plastic surgeon, and immediately he starts talking to Teuta in a way that's very, like, very rude and brash, in a sort of way that's like... He, like, negs her from moment one, basically. Yeah. Um, Like, the first thing he does is, like, rate her, I think, like, a 68 out of 100 on, like, appearance. Um, Well, the fucked up thing is he doesn't even say out of 100. Like, his his other element to that is just that he never tells them out of what. (laughs) Mm. I just assumed out of 100 100, because he never goes to 100. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That that's true. Yeah, he's just like he's a flirt uh, and a scoundrel. Um, there's a great line in Moses' root where Teida says that like the the professor who turns out to be a serial killer reminded her of Helvetica, and Helvetica goes, "Oh, why?" And she goes, "Cause he's a creep." <laughs> <laughs> Helvetica's just like, "Hmm, I am, aren't I a stinker?" <laughs> Yeah, the other interesting thing about Helvetica is that he's basically the inside man for all their jobs, like, even jobs that require, like, a woman to be there. He's just incredibly good at cross-dressing and changing his voice, and so when you have missions where Teata's like, okay, so you need a woman for this role, I'm in. Like, the running gag is that most of the cast doesn't really think of her as a woman when conversations happen, so everyone's like, Come on, who are you kidding here? We're gonna get Helvetica for this. And, uh... Yeah. Teuta is spunky, but she's not a femme fatale. When they need a femme fatale, they have to go to Helvetica. Yeah, basically. And Helvetica's whole thing is that, like, he is also an undocumented immigrant, and, uh... He was in a gang where things got rough real bad. Like, he was, uh helping them, like, raid a specific house. The house caught on fire. Um, he assumed one of the people caught in blaze was dead even after he tried to save her. He was beat up and tossed into a garbage dump and left for dead until Professor Solly came along and 
found him and more or less was like, okay, I'm going to give you a new life. So he had reconstructs a surgery, was taught a bunch of stuff, basically made into the very model of a pretty boy to the point where like a magazine is like, okay, yeah, we'd like to learn more about your situation, but could you take a bunch of nudes for us too? And he's like, sure, why not? <laughs> and a, a lot of Helvetica's rude concerns his nudes. Yeah, and just the boys looking at his nudes being like, damn, Helvetica. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but only, Mozu is the only one who gets teased, uh, not Mozu, uh, Scarecrow's the only one who gets teased for this being kind of a gay thing to do. Everybody else yep. gets a free pass to look at Scarecrow's nudes, but they just tease the shit out of uh, Helvetica's nudes, but then they just tease the shit out of Scarecrow for it. Well, it's because no one else would give them a good reaction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, you know your friends, right? There's there are there are people I don't tease about things I would tease Jen for because they would just they'd be like, yeah, I'd be like, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, Scarecrow does this thing that he does with Teeta for Helvetica as well, where he's just saying various lines that everyone is like, oh, okay, you want to talk to us more about things, Scarecrow? And he just blushes and runs away. <laughs> yeah, I do think they tease him. They tease him in, in multiple routes for being kind of gay, and I think he is actually kind of gay. Yeah, I definitely think he's bi for sure, essentially. Um, but yeah, after all of this has happened, um, the woman who was left for dead, Magda, comes back into his life, basically trying to get reconstructive surgery for the burn that was left, and also in a way to kind of like pull Helvetica back into the gang. And because Helvetica is starting to remember things about his past, uh, he's starting to feel conflicted. Like maybe he should just give up everything and go back with this gang because that's what the gang wants. So in order to kind of, in order to make sure that he doesn't go along with this, they basically have to record Magda doing something incriminating in terms of like, oh yeah, I just want to torture him. And that's enough for him to be like, okay, yeah, fuck this. We're going to figure out another way through this. Mm -hmm. um and then midway through the route he does get he like gets lit on fire um so he has to have like facial reconstructive surgery again yeah like not just lit on fire he lights himself on fire to be like hey will this make us even magda if i do this (laughs) and magda's just like no not really (laughs) (laughs) but yeah like um after you see the side of Helvetica, he gets incredibly insecure about himself to the point where he's constantly wondering, am I really Helvetica or am I this other person? And you basically kindle this bond with him by constantly telling him, no, you are Helvetica. This is who you are. And that pulls him out of it. Mm-hmm. There's also this interesting thing to his route that the game kind of echoes throughout the story where there's a different person that Helvetica does plastic surgery on and after the surgery this person ends up committing suicide no she but, gets killed oh yeah she gets killed I, she gets but, killed uh, pre-surgery I think no it's after okay it's after yeah but yeah after the surgery um like no one is writing about it just because they're like oh it's another person from this specific area of town I think it's called Blackhawk. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, no one's interested in doing that except for Teta, who like presses her friends to kind of give her information about the the murder so that she can write up an entire story about this person. And 
Helvetica takes a look, like, asks to keep the advanced copy um, so that he can... It's very important to him because he tells Teata that most of these sort of people, like, there's so much death in this world, but when people die, they're often not even remembered, especially people from Blackhawk. You went the extra mile, you gave her life beyond her own life. And it it's a very it's a very moving moment for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I came out of I, I think like in contrast to Scarecrow, I think Helvetica is like much better on his route. Um because you get kind of like you get like past his bullshit, um essentially, and I think he has like he has good moments of like vulnerability, basically, um, that I think make him like a, a a much better character, in my eyes. Um, when you're yeah. not on his route, he's kind of just like a, a flirt and a bit of a creep. <laughs> um, yeah, and I can also see people reading into the side B a little, just the way that he's like, I don't like it that you have uh, Adam as a friend and things like that, but it's kind of them like being very straightforward with each other about their own insecurities about how they react with the other people around them Mm -hmm. and not necessarily saying we're going to stop all that, just being very open about it because otherwise when they're not open about it, they're both worrying. Does, does he or she really love me? Yeah, um, I mean, I think his route does him some some favors as far as, you know, compared to his normal portrayal, but he literally never stops negging her. Like, there are scenes where he doesn't do it, but it's never like that's a behavior he grows past, and so fuck that guy. Uh, he's number four because even, uh, well, one, he is very hot, um, <laughs> and two, even, even the, like, narcissistic, like, fucking nigger is better than like a glass of room temperature water thanks limbo the uh helvetica has like okay helvetica's like front on sprite just has such a fucking vtuber vibe to me <laughs> like yeah 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 i i just yeah. look at him straight on and i'm like oh that's just a vtuber uh-huh I will also point out that once you learn more about Solly um, in the True End, well, we'll get to that stuff later, but once you learn more about Solly, it's like, damn, you grew up with him as your adoptive father? Like, I'm pretty sure that would fuck anyone up. Yeah, fucking terrible vibes on Anime Hannibal. <laughs> Just like... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Th- they got Tomokasu Sukita to voice him, and they knew what they were doing when he they casted him for that role. I mean, like, he... He basically, like, he basically, like, found Helvetica and was like, ah, here is an urchin boy that I can turn into my perfect little twink. And, uh, the vibes on that are bad and they get worse. Yeah. He, he, my fair lady Helvetica. (laughs) Um, especially in the side B when you see, like, what Helvetica calls an addiction treatment, um... Not an addiction treatment. Uh, There is some really weird stuff that, like, uh, Solly does tying, like, Helvetica, like, getting over his addiction to, like, creating an entirely new personality, and it's grody. Don't like that guy at all. No. 
Yeah. It's it's rough. When the more you learn about him, he is very rough. Yeah. All right. Do we want to do Mozu? I mean, that's all that's left. Well, I feel like we should also do Adam and Luca. Just yeah, you know, for context. I, I feel like I Adam the, is left for the end, though. <laughs> yeah, Adam. Adam is left for the end. I think the game should have done Luca. That's my thought. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but really quick, let's talk about Mozu. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, yeah, Mozu is the, he's like the head coroner at the city. Um, he, he's just like the trope of the autistic guy, basically. Um, he's like a very, very clinical person, um, socially just kind of like very out of step with other people because he's super direct um, and very like, technical about everything um yeah like he he talks he compliments people by their anatomy in really creepy ways like um one of your first conversations um Teita has with them is like you have really nice eye, eye sockets what is <laughs> like thanks bud most what does that mean <laughs> i want to like i want to note like i did his route last um because i was i was pretty sure i was gonna like it and i wanted to end on a on a higher mm-hmm. note um, and I did. Um, but like I as I was cramming all of this pretty last minute, I was I had been reading y'all's thoughts and you know, I feel like often like I don't necessarily agree with Jen's assessment of like characters as autistic, right? Like I often do, but there are instances where I'm like, mm, that feels like a bit of an overreach to me. And I think playing the other characters route, I'm like I mean, obviously it's based in autism, but this is just like anime like awkward over technical guy and then you play his route and you're like oh no this is explicit like they they don't know it's explicit but this is explicitly autism the scene where he talks about like his understanding of what is his own autism but like what the, what the game doesn't have vocabulary for like the game doesn't know what autism is it just right. knows that this is like a trope of anime guy and it kind of like stumbles towards that. So you get this very weird moment where a guy who is like super literal and super clinical starts to like speak about his experience growing up autistic entirely in metaphor. Um, and I f- or like or or like the scene where he talks about like, well, the reason like the reason I don't spend as much time with people is because when I talk, I don't get across what I intend to get across and people get upset. Mm-hmm basically yeah he describes well like the metaphor that he uses is that he like he moves at a different he he describes himself as moving at a different speed than everyone so he doesn't reach things that other people like are supposed to reach and he gets hung up on things that other people just breeze by basically um Mm -hmm. and that's kind of like the the metaphor that he uses um Mm -hmm. he's also he also like takes care of various animals uh, alongside him in the morgue when he's uh, doing his job. Like uh, I think he has like a cage of rabbits somewhere. Yeah, he he's got like a room that just has like a bunch of stray animals, basically, um, mm-hmm. that he picks up from random places. Um, the way I've been talking about him, I, I feel like it probably makes me sound like I hate this character, but I actually like Mozu a lot. Um, I think, like, mm-hmm. when you do his route, he, you know, he's just a very sweet guy. Um, I think mm-hmm. he has, like, the sweetest, like, individual moments. Um, 
And even though he can be, like, very cartoonish, I think there's enough moments that, like, feel genuine. I really like him talking to Ivy in his route. Um, It's, I think it's the scene, yeah, it's the scene where he and Teoda get Ivy to skip school. Um, uh, Ivy is like, Mozu has a sister who went missing about a year ago. And Ivy is like a, a friend of hers from high school who clearly like knows something about her disappearance but is very hesitant to talk to mozu about it because she feels like culpable for it um and so like in this scene mozu has like a very sweet scene where he's very understanding toward ivy and like about you know her her like development as a teen and like the way that makes her experience emotions that are like different from adults emotions but that they're still like worthy of respect um and he's just, like, very caring and reassuring towards her, and it's very sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like, they, the three of them get into a conversation about how much high school sucks in general, just in terms of, like, how hard it is to make friends and how easy it is to, like, say or do the wrong thing and kind of get ostracized for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of nice to see them kind of talking out, like, the adults talking out the parts that bothered them and opening up for the first time and also helping ivy understand that no it's not just her like high school is rough for everyone mm-hmm. yeah um yeah but the the plot of yeah moses root is very heavily based around that that high school slash college campus and you know that there is you know there is this culture that like you know bad things happen to the kids there and it gets covered up for reasons of prestige um and one of the professors turns out to be a serial killer. Um, and he is the guy who, um, you know, kidnapped and killed Mozu's sister. And, you know, they catch him and save Ivy from being killed by him. And Mozu, like, deals with the the death of his sister, which he kind of, like, you know, he knew about... He has a scene where he says, like, he knew kind of, like, statistically that people who disappear for like this period of time with no word are usually, you know, dead. Um, but because he hasn't like seen that, he hasn't really processed it. And there's still a part of him that think, you know, that believes that his sister is alive somewhere. Um, so the part where he, you know, finds his sister's corpse is like, yeah, it's really sad. Um, yeah, it, it got, it really hit me pretty hard mm-hmm. when he, like he walks, cause he's, pretty like as ready as he can be for it mm-hmm. and so like they they kick open the door because they finally found out where she's being kept um and she's dead because she was just locked in there without anyone checking on her for a year mm-hmm. so obviously um and he just sort of like picks up and cradles the body mm-hmm. and it's just like oh fuck man <laughs> yeah because he has this thing kind of like throughout his roots of um kind of the way that he treats corpses as like uh, a coroner um and you know he kind of like he has his own way of like treating them with a lot of respect um and not like you know he like he doesn't see like he doesn't see dead bodies as this kind of like scary or abject thing um and so like you know seeing him kind of like act that way with like his sister's body is like it's rough he, you know, he basically just talks to her and, like, apologizes for not being able to save her. And that's just fucking sad. Yeah. And then after that, he basically um, comes into your room and explains, like, 
okay, so I've read that I know the statistics on people like ending their lives after a major tragedy happens to them. So I'm going to need you to, I'm going to need to stay by you for a while. And Teuta has the, Teuta is able to like cut through his way of talking about that and more or less be like, okay, I know exactly how I'm going to help you and helps him get through that period in his life. And it's, it's a really beautiful moment. Also, to, to change the t- the tone of the conversation just a little bit, <laughs> um, I do like how in all the other routes, he is the one who is saving whatever holiday they're currently having. Like, for Thanksgiving, Teeta, like, takes out a frozen turkey, like, the day of Thanksgiving, and Moses is like, oh, okay, that's, you're supposed to take it out three days beforehand, but... Scarecrow was rich. He he bought all this uh, um, cooking stuff without actually using it, so we can take care of that. Or, like, how he is in charge of, like, the Halloween meals, but he gets a little too realistic with everything, so everyone's like, well, this tastes... He wants to make, like... He wants to make, like... He wants to make, like, food that looks like body parts um, and just makes it look super realistic to the point that everyone feels kind of weird about eating it, even though it tastes great. Yeah, they're tr- trying to. He he states his goal. They talk him down slightly from his original goal of making an edible corpse. <laughs> uh, uh, there's the another good Mozu scene is uh, in shoes side B. You know where where all the boys end up talking about like Shu and Toyota's relationship, and they start kind of like pestering Shu of like, oh, how far have you two got? Mozu is like, excuse me, Toyota's our good friend, and I don't feel comfortable about us talking about her behind her back, especially about such private matters. Everyone's like, okay, Mozu, <laughs> he's just like a he's just like a good guy, Mozu. Yeah, I think I I like Shu's route better. Shu's route is my favorite, <laughs> but as far as just like dudes that i would date i pick mozu yeah i think mozu would just be the best like boyfriend in general yeah um yeah yeah the, the one kind of the one scene where they have his specific way of speaking and they kind of it comes off a little eh is when they're in the when they're in the high school and mozu does the cabadon thing to Teuta. it's like yeah uh I'm doing this because I'm trying to make myself horny, so I don't think about my dead sister. It's like, okay. Yeah, that part's, that part's goofy. Yeah. Um, uh, I I like the... Because in that, in Moses' route, it actually takes a long time for them to, like, be together, be together. It's really not until the end of his side B. Um, but I really like once they kind of, like, say that um, and kind of, like, get over the awkwardness, Mozu becomes, like, he's, like, okay, I'm shifting into boyfriend mode. I don't want to hear fucking anything else right now. As we said earlier, he has that great scene where he tells Scarecrow and Shu to, like, deal with their own freaking problems. He's, like, I'm gonna hang out with my girlfriend now. Goodbye. (laughs) Um, And then he has, like, a a list of all the things that he wants to talk to Teeda about. Um, and that's a, that's a really Mm -hmm. cute bit. Um, and it's a list of things like the other day you're eating chocolates and you didn't want to eat the green ones. Why? We couldn't talk at this time. We were, we were, we were sort of fighting, mm -hmm. but 
I really need to know why you didn't want to eat the green ones. Yeah, they're all like they're all like really specific observations he made of her behavior. Um, but they're also all just asking about her likes and dislikes. He's like, "Do you not like green mm-hmm. chocolates? Like, what's your favorite kind of food? Like, you know, yada yada." Um, it's it's really cute. He just like made a list of things he wants to know about her. Yeah. Yeah, I I really liked his route. I wasn't. I, I was kind of dreading it going in a little just because all the ways he talks about your body and also the swimsuit he gets to you that is just like, oh yeah, it makes your bones look real good. It's like, oh god. Which, swim, <laughs> but, uh, which swimsuit is his again? Is that the yellow one? That's the yellow strap. Yeah, that's, that's, the, the, worst, yeah. that's the worst fucking swimsuit. Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so whenever you choose, whenever you get put into one of these people routes, um, two things happen. First, um, they all have uh, a name they came up with, a stray cat that they adopted. And whatever name the cat responds to, that's going to be who you're going to be with. Uh, and then uh, in the... Helvetica for the cat chooses Teuda's name and gets a lot of mileage out of, like, um, talking about the cat and making Teuda think he's talking about her. Yeah, like, talk, being like, hey, you like sleeping in my bed a lot? Hey, Teuda. <laughs> and everyone's just... Everyone's just playing along like, oh yeah, totally, the cat, sure. Uh, the other thing is also, the guy whose route you're on is also the one who um, kind of talks to Teoda about the uh, the Rookie of the Year award and kind of like helps her open up that envelope and like just see once and for all whether she won or not. Mm-hmm. It's like the third, that's like the second thing that happens. And then the third one is that whoever... You know, the guy whose route you're on, he also chooses a swimsuit for Teuda. Um, in this whole thing where uh, Carmen, the bar owner, and then Valerie, who is Limbo's like dif- like district attorney, big sister, uh, they like take Teuda shopping during fashion week and like secretly get her a swimsuit that like they they called the guy that she was flirting with and he chooses the swimsuit. Yeah. It's very funny too because like Teta obviously isn't usually in swimsuits, so each one she's kind of a little bit embarrassed by. But depending on their responses, she either gets more comfortable or even more embarrassed. Um, she was so funny because he chooses like a black bikini, and he's like, "Yeah, very sexy." And she's like, "Stop calling me sexy," and he's like, "Why? It's really sexy." <laughs> Yeah, she was very direct and to the point. <laughs> oh, I also forgot another really good chew scene. He gives Teoda at one point a coupon on the back of a fake Trader Joe's res- uh, receipt that says, like, coupon, anything you want. Um, and then the next time Teoda asks him to do something and he doesn't want to do it because it's a pain in the ass, she texts him a picture of the coupon and he just responds, damn it. <laughs> Does the thing. It's really <laughs> cute. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I forget which one was like who got her the was it No wait, no. Which um, which just ask the question, Jen. I'm trying to figure out who got the one who got her this swimsuit where she is so embarrassed by the bottom that she puts on some boy shorts on top of it. That's scarecrow. Fucking guess. That's scarecrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, scarecrow. <laughs> where he, they apparently fucking Valerie asked she, she was like what swimsuit would look good on Tuta and he said a white bikini and a thong 
<laughs> fucking what a cringe man. <laughs> what a cringe fucking guy. He's also I think yeah. Scarecrow is also the only one they say directly like what swimsuit would look good on Toyota. I think they no wait. I think they ask Helvetica it directly too, but most of the guys they kind of like well, and Mozu it. because Mozu picks it because of her bones. Uh, okay, Limbo, I think they tell yeah, Limbo, I think Valerie pretends it's for her. And mm-hmm. uh Shu, they just ask, like, what's the best kind of bikini for a woman to wear? And he goes like mm-hmm. black bikini, duh. Yep. Yeah, meanwhile Valerie's just here with a completely tits up um top <laughs> and uh, I think it might be one of the boys comments, Hey, are you really Mozu. gonna swim with that? Because that's probably gonna fall off and she's like, yeah. Shut the fuck up. That's, that's... Mozu is like, I'm really concerned. Yeah, Mozu about... Mozu is concerned about Valerie and Carmen's like hydrodynamics of their swimsuits. <laughs> There's a high high likelihood they will end up naked. <laughs> and then Scarecrow's like, naked naked (laughs) they also occasionally do this thing with scarecrow where everyone leaves the scene and it just does the the black circle like Like coming in around his face yeah (laughs) yeah Uh, as he's like covering his eyes or whatever yeah in some in one of the swimsuit scenes he's like covering his eyes and then it zooms in uh, after he's going like, I'm not thinking anything weird, I promise. And then it like zooms right in on his face and he does the sprite where he's like peeking out from his fingers. Then he goes, it's not weird. <laughs> All right. Adam and Luca. All right. Okay. Okay. So Adam and Luca are Teoda's like childhood friends. Um who both have, like, really big, unrequited crushes on her. Um, Luca is, like, a butch cop, um, and Adam is, like, a... This is another one of those, like... Adam's position is, for me, like, one of those Japanese tropes coming in, because he's, like, an anchor, a news anchor who's also a pop star. It's He's just a cultural figure. He's just, like, a <laughs> yeah, cultural icon Adam Krylov. Yeah, they mentioned like, oh yeah, in addition to doing the most popular uh, news segment, like, your song is also number one on the the charts. Could you fucking imagine if, like, Lester Holt had a number one pop single? I would lose my fucking mind. Yes, I can. It sounds great. (laughs) Uh, He also, like, his hair's hair's doing this weird thing where it kind of just dips in the middle. anime coconut head. Yeah, looks like a freaking owl. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, Luca, Luca is like the one character who, out of everyone else, like out of all the side characters, she definitely deserved a route going on. Mm-hmm. Just because, like, yeah, no fucking kidding. <laughs> there's a part, there's a part of this game where Teda sees Luca get shot because she's like the one good cop. In the entire corrupt police force. So, like, she uncovers too much corruption and someone, like, kills her in the records room. Um, so Teda, like, stumbles in, discovers Luca, like, bleeding to death. And Luca, with her last words, confesses her love for Teda. And then Teda goes back in time, saves Luca from dying, and it, like, 
doesn't come up again. <laughs> and it's just like, we're such good friends. Oh. <laughs> it's like, dude, it was right there. It hurts. <laughs> Yeah. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Luca and Adam are just in the background of her life, just knowingly to each other. Like, yeah, we both love her a lot. There, there, there is a part there? where they literally, literally, they're having drinks with Tuta. Tuta leaves because they give her advice on her love life, mm-hmm. and she leaves. And Adam says, "Cheers to our broken hearts." And Luca's like, "Damn, yeah." <laughs> they gave her. They gave her a ring together. Did you did you two catch this? What? In Oh yes. oh, yeah. yeah. In Limbo's root, like Limbo gives her a ring to wear on one of her pinky fingers, and he says that he noticed that she has a ring on her other pinky, and she says, Yeah, Adam and Luca got this for me. And Limbo says that wearing a ring on that finger represents, like, grabbing hold of happiness. Those two are down fucking atrocious. (laughs) They just have this fucking... For me, the most, like... You know, we're gonna talk about the true end shortly. But, like, Uh to me, the most, like, fucking fascinating thing about, like, the true end is the way that, like... Both of them have really obvious, like, you know, love for Teuta, but, like, they're both, like, so fucking traumatized that they can't articulate it, so they just have this, like, like, unstated polycule thing going on, where they both just, like, keep her around, um, but neither of them make a move, um, and then it just gets, like, shattered by whichever boy she dates, and that's, like, so sad to me. Yeah, it's, and like, it's yeah, and like you know that is other, the other part of of Helvetica's B ending, which is the part where they're talking about jealousy, where he's like, I don't know if you know this, but I'm pretty sure Luca's real down bad for you. Well, he says Adam specifically, but Luca's also like Helvetica's like, yeah, I feel kind of romantically threatened by your two friends because they're really obviously both into you. Yeah. Also, Luca's, like, straight up the best-looking woman in this game. Like, she has her yeah. style down pat. Her vibe, her and vibe at- is so good. I'm so mad she's a cop. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but- like, she's she's basically getting herself into, like, dirty cop status to help other people. But, yeah, she is still just a cop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's... Listen. Mm-hmm. You can date little a cop as a treat. <laughs> Uh, I mean, Moses a cop, kind of. Kind of. They're all kind of cops in a way. They're doing cop shit. Well, let's not go. Let's not say things we can't take back. I no. I mean, they're doing cop shit. They're like running around, <laughs> like catching evildoers. That's not necessarily cop. That's shit. cop shit. I think we need to revisit our definition of cop shit, but this is the last episode she'll be on. <laughs> uh, okay, so the tr- uh, before mm-hmm. before we get into the true true ending, I do think we should cover full circle of it because that oh, yeah. stuff is equally buck wild, but in a different way. <laughs> that, okay. that stuff is good. That stuff is just okay. like turns out the Patriots were the people all around you. That stuff is been MGS like fucking MGS three. It's funny as shit. Okay. Or I'm just four, so excuse me. So throughout the, throughout the intro episodes of the game, uh, Teuda is contacted by a woman named Irina, 
who is like on essentially death row for like the being convicted of the murder of her roommate um and as like a kind of deathbed confessional Irina's like let me tell you about this organization called Roy Lopez it's spelled like Rui Lopez I'm pretty sure it's Roy Lopez Mm -hmm. because it's named after a chess oh no Rui Lopez okay the actual chess move is called the Rui Lopez I thought it was a weird Mm. transliteration thing but it is yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so it is like an organization that like came out of like the immigrant community in new sieg of like it was like a network of of criminal of like criminal activity that like the that was like in the in the community used to kind of like improve people's livelihoods in like the shadow economy um but now Irina says it's become like entrenched with power in a way such that like their mem- they have members in like the police force in like the the government in the in like the judiciary and you know Irina says they're basically just like become a criminal organization um and she asks Teuda to like look into this um <laughs> Teuda kind of doesn't until it falls like right into her lap in full circle mm-hmm. where it's revealed that so Carmen, the bar owner, has this, like, boyfriend who is off-screen because she says he's out of state. It is revealed in full circle that the boyfriend was... He was out of state, but not because he was, like, working at a prestigious job, but because he was, like, in a coma? After, like, being attacked and nearly killed by his younger brother. Because Carmen's boyfriend is, like, one of the founders of Roy Lopez. And the other brother... Uh, the other brother is Alex, who is like the presumed child that Carmen has been taking care of throughout the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just the child that's constantly hanging around this very specific queer bar and like taking everyone's orders and being like, "Ah, oh, it's okay. If I'm not being paid, I'm not actually doing work." <laughs> and dispensing wisdom beyond his age. It was just like it turns out that the. Alex here is, like, the older brother who, like, put the younger brother into a coma, and... You got it backwards. No, wait, it's it's the the older brother. brother. No, he's the younger brother. Okay, because I thought that he did... I thought the whole thing was, like, he did this impossible surgery to look like the younger brother. No, he did this impossible surgery to look younger, Mm -hmm. because he's the same age as Limbo, but... He is the younger brother. This, like, I went through all of this last night. I am one thousand percent certain. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah. So, and now Carmen's, uh, Carmen's like uh, partner is about to die, which kind of brings all of this to the surface. Um, the like head, the like head district attorney also turns out to be like a member of Roy Lopez, but he is the. He's like the evil one who's like, oh, I will I will just take over this network and use it for full on crimes. Ho ho. Um, so Teida goes back in time to stop him from killing her and Alex. Um, and then like, you know, they track, you know, they track Alex and his DA guy to the roof. Carmen records the DA guy being like, ho ho ho, I, I manipulated you into killing your brother. And then I will take over the 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 country with my crime network um because she like like how 
Mm-hmm. She just sort of shows up. Is she like standing on a plane or something? But she just sort of shows up off the edge of the building with her phone out like, surprise, I am the secret owner of Twitter. Welcome. You're on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, The part where Teta also like travels back in time right as she fucking dies is also interesting because like occasionally they talk about how her powers take a lot out of her and like every time during this specific sequence she remembers oh yeah i got fucking shot to a lethal degree she has a moment where suddenly she can't breathe and like she's reliving the exact like pain that caused from like going through her dying gasps Mm -hmm. like I thought they were going to do more with that, but they do not. Yeah, I wonder if I wonder if that's what Joker is. If it's just kind of like, oh, by the way, here's why she has time travel powers. Because um, oh. otherwise it just okay. kind of, you know, there's no big secret behind the time travel powers. It's just something that Taylor can do. Uh, yeah, I, I do know that they have been like, when they announced the U.S. localization for this, uh, they did announce that uh, they were working on a season two of Busta Fellows, but hmm. they haven't really said much more about that since then. So, yeah, um, Carmen, it, like, Carmen was previously very, in, like, after finding out that Alex was actually the one who killed her boyfriend, was really, you know, dead set on killing him to to avenge her boyfriend um but she's convinced by her bodyguard pepe to like go and be with her boyfriend in his last moments and the last thing her boyfriend says before he dies is his little brother's name which like you know convinces carmen to you know give up on vengeance and then take care of uh alex and so that's where like that's where that kind of ends is with carmen you know resolving to like do right by do right by her boyfriend who ultimately loved his brother um and you know take care of alex and then also they got the also they got like the state's attorney convicted on massive criminal conspiracy and kind of destroyed this whole organization yeah well or so they think because apparently members of this organization are like secretly out there and still plotting yeah as they as uh Teata suddenly learns later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess it's never quite... And I guess the the main person who says... (laughs) The main person who says that Roy Lopez is destroyed is, like, a figment of Adam's, like, diseased brain. So, who knows its actual status? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so the events of this lead into the true ending, which is uh, called Auld Lang Syne. And it, it essentially, after all of this happens, um, Adam starts to have a breakdown um, because he has a brain tumor uh, yeah. that he just hasn't treated. Um, and the brain tumor is causing him to have hallucinations of Toyota's brother, Zola, who has come up before. He was a, you know, like a he was like a corrupt cop who um, got into like. Um, you know, like, gang violence and, like, using drugs and kind of, like, mysteriously disappeared one day. Um, and everyone just kind of assumed that, you know, he got killed because he got mixed up in this stuff. And it's something that, like, Teoda thinks about, I would say, pretty frequently throughout the game. He comes mm-hmm. up a few times. Um, and so Adam is having hallucinations of Zola, who 
says basically like, oh, you thought you killed me back then, but I'm back. Um, and now I'm going to like, you know, torment you and like, you know, uh, hurt Teuta and Luca again. Um, and so, I- yeah. And while in, while in this state, Adam also confides in Luca, look, I'm seeing Zor again. And Luca just freaks the fuck out. Like, I thought you took care of this. Mm-hmm. So they kind of clue you in a little earlier that the big reveal that Luca is aware of what happened to Zora, but has not told Teata. Yeah. And so Adam, you know, he kind of has this breakdown um, where he's, you know, briefly hospitalized and then he's kind of running around being haunted by this kind of like specter of Zola. Um, He gets kind of unmoored in time for a while um, and is kind of like saying things that hint at something really bad happening when they were all in high school together. Um, And, you know, he eventually gets tracked down by Teuta and all the guys where it comes out that like right before prom when... um, Teuta, Adam, and Luca were all in high school. Um, you know, there was some sort of... They're, they're light on the details, I think, because of the severity of what happened. But basically, I think Luca went to some place and met up with Zola, and then he sexually assaulted her. Um, and kind of in the immediate yeah. aftermath of that, Adam also kind of showed up at this place and found out what had happened. And, like... Um, was kind of, like, confronting Zola, who then implied that he meant to do the same thing to Teuta, and Adam killed him. Um, and then Adam turned to his father, who was, you know, kind of like a... He was he's like a Russian mogul, basically. Like a really powerful business guy. Um, and who turns out was also a member of Roy, Roy Lopez. So he turns to, you know, his father's uh, criminal connections to cover it up. Um... And that is, like, why Zola just disappeared one day. And he and Luca have kind of been living with the trauma of that ever since. So Teuta... Yeah. Teuta finds out um, and, you know, kind of, like, forgives Adam uh, for having done this kind of against Adam's wishes. Because uh, he's really messed up about it. Um, and then it ends with, you know, Adam, you know, going back to Russia for, like, you know... Um, Kind of an unclear reason. Um, I'm not sure if he's going back because he intends to die um, back in back in his home country, or if he's like going there for like convalescence. But you know, it's like he's. I mean, like mm-hmm. the like the dramatic framing and like the like old Lang Syne playing and like the montage of like all the Adam moments makes it emotionally feel like he's going back to die. But yeah, in the narrative, is very unclear. Mm-hmm. I think he straight up died already. I think he like, might have died a in bit the where, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah. It's it's a weird final bit, and I know Jen, you were the you were like the least into this, so I kind of want to like give you the stage to talk about this. Yeah, I I kind of get what they were going for, just because like Adam throughout this is like quoting Russian poetry and like. Based on, while I was looking up the information about what the actual end cutscene said, because it's untranslated, Mm -hmm. um, people were mentioning that it's kind of trying to mirror specific uh, Russian stories by Dostoevsky and other figures like that, just in the way of showing this one person fall apart over time while confronting their sins, Mm -hmm. but... uh, 
it doesn't feel like it really gels with the tone of the rest of it. And also the bit that really was off-putting to me is they never straight up say what happens to Luca, but like Luca is breaking down in a very intense way, like in a way that you never really heard her break down before, like even after she was shot. Mm -hmm. And it's incredibly fucking rough to play through that part and just have her reliving that moment and crying directly into your ear and just... That was really hard to sit through. Mm -hmm. And it's like... And Luca doesn't really get any closure, you know? Because you spend, basically... You spend all of Auld Lang Syne in Adam's, like, point of view. And Adam is, like, increasingly disoriented and, like, out of touch with, you know... Like, out of touch with what's going on, essentially. Um, And so... You know, you don't really, you know, you don't see Luca really getting any comfort or like talking through what happened to her. Um, and it's very kind of like focused on what's going on with Adam um, in a way that's like increasingly unclear. And I think that makes it especially rough that like this whole thing hap- happened because Luca was like extremely violated by Zola. And then Luca doesn't, you know, there there's kind of no space for Luca to to do anything past like having this revealed about her against her will. Um, and it's, it's rough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I guess like, I don't have any defense of the content in it really. Um, my feeling less bad than Jen about this is because it feels so artificial to me. Mm-hmm. It feels so much a product of the fact that, no, these kinds of games have a have a sick twist at the end. And so we just have to do one of those. It feels so tacked on and so needless to me. I have this thing where that oh, do you have more to say? Uh, it's, it's just, you know, like like I, I, I felt the same way, like hearing the, the, the performance on, on Luca and the way she was characterized there. It's like it's really upsetting. And. If you accept that into the story of the game, I really dislike it. But I just straight up don't because it's just like, check it out. Here's our sicko shit at the end, which we have to do because apparently that's the cool thing to do in Otome games. It's like, shut the fuck up. Yeah, I will. I will say the one bit that kind of ties it closer into everything else is that as an additional twist, they just throw out into this because they just need to like load this true ending with as many twists as possible. It turns out that Solly is also a member of Roy Lopez. He's the one who like sends the full circle message about how Adam is secretly a killer and is just watching all this breakdown stuff very bemused. Like, oh, I just love it when I see someone who seems to have their shit together but is slowly falling apart and just finally falls apart. Isn't that so exquisitely beautiful? (laughs) And, uh... It, it finding that about him a like makes you feel so much worse for Helvetica for like being raised by this motherfucker and b like everyone on the gang instantly turns on Cell like just being like hey fuck you you're we need to have your statement here but also after this we're totally fucking done. Mm-hmm. But also I mean did we really need like an introduction of another Joker at the end here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a game full of jokers. Like, almost every single side story, almost every single character out here has their own individual joker. Except for, like, Scarecrow and, uh... I, Scarecrow and Shu, I guess? Yeah, that's... Be- they, that's- they, they share the same joker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, my thing with Auld Lang Syne is, like... 
I don't I don't actually find it to be that incongruous with the rest of the story as you two do. Um I just think that they I just think that it's really underbaked in its connections cuz like you have like I don't think the themes are actually that much different. Um because Auld Lang Syne and the rest of the game are both dealing with like this idea of like found family and how like found family bonds can be complicated and the way that that relationship can be kind of like mixed with with romantic longing um in in like awkward ways um they're both concerned with like secrets and trauma um moving past trauma um why people would like want to keep their trauma a secret um kind of like confiding in people while at the same time push like pushing them away um and so like I feel I feel like you could do a version of this that feels like okay we're taking these themes and kind of like spinning them out into sort of a final story at the end um and I think it would even be fine to like kind of give it this tragic ending that kind of like ends with Adam's death but the time frame that they have is just not enough for the scale of what they're introducing you know um mm-hmm. yeah it's it it's a bunch of like it's it's a bunch of really intense stuff that they just don't have the space for really um yeah i guess i don't i i agree with you it's not that i think it's like tonally dissonant from the content of the game but it's just like you can't do this when you've done so little with these characters that's the thing mm-hmm. right you can't do this to luca when you haven't done anything else with luca mm-hmm. yeah and so i could see a version of this that i accept if we were you know if we were building more of adam and luca throughout these other routes um and this was kind of like Auld lang syne ended up being kind of the payoff to that you know i think this game actually does kind of a poor job of having the roots you know build on each other you know how the way Fate Stay Night is built with the understanding that you are seeing these roots in a certain order, so they have thematic connections between them um, that, you know, kind of build on each other. And this game doesn't do that. Um, when I think mm-hmm. there was an opportunity to do that and kind of like reveal, you know, have certain character beats or, you know, uh, information revealed about backstories in the different routes that would then culminate in Auld Lang Syne. Um, but they, you know, they just don't do that. Um, Teuda has the exact same conversation with fucking Capablanca on full circle every single route. Um, and with a game with really good skip features, it is completely unskippable. unskippable. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I just... Yeah, I think the game, you know, both the Auld Lang Syne itself is not you know, well-written for what it's trying to do, and that the game that came before it is just not able to support that. Um, Uh Yeah, I was, like, at the beginning... I was at kind of, like, the, you know, the very end of the credit sequence where they have a lady singing all Lang Syne as you see, like, you know, like a young Teuda, Adam, and Luca on, like, train tracks, then kind of, like, growing into their old selves, and then it's, like, just Adam there. And it's like, I mean, this could be really affecting, but you didn't earn this. 
Yeah, but it's like this could be a great goodbye to a beloved character, but who the fuck is Adam? <laughs> yeah, and then they they cut to like the the full birthday wish he made, and it's like I wish everything could stay the same forever. Hmm. I mean, and like there's an idea of Adam, you know, like uh, they could have. I think they could have built this out. Um, like I said, I think mm-hmm. what is gestured to kind of like his and Luca and Teuda's relationship where like it's theoretically this like found family triangle of like the best friends ever, but kind of two of them are united in this awful trauma that they are keeping from the third member and the way that turns into kind of... I'm like having trouble describing it, but I would say kind of like a toxic relationship where it's, you know, there's kind of shades of Luca and Adam having like appointed themselves as like Teoda's guardians because they, Mm -hmm. they kind of saved her from this, you know, they kind of saved her from going through this awful experience. Um, And if they had like done more with that, I feel, well, they should have done more with that, you know? Um, I think there's a lot of like, ground in there to kind of like explore you know both of their emotions as like Teuda finally like you know falls in love with somebody you know mm-hmm. yeah and it's kind of a betrayal on their part too because like one thing that they're constantly stressing throughout the whole game is okay the rule between the three of us is we never keep any secrets from each other mm-hmm. as soon as anything's happening we talk about it and yet those two are keeping like the biggest secret about the fate of Teata's brother yeah, um, like they're keeping to themselves they're keeping like compounding secrets you know like like mm-hmm. they're keeping mm-hmm. the secret of like this trauma and then they're both keeping like their they're both keeping their own feelings for Teuda as well as like their knowledge of the other's feelings for Teuda you know a, a, a secret between all of them um and I think it's like a, it's a, I think it's a really fascinating setup that they're not, you know, the game's not doing anything with. Um. Yeah. At, at the time when they're like, okay, you're moving to a new place with all these people. I'm going to take, we're, I'm inviting myself over to meet them. Like on some level, I, when I initially saw that, I was like, okay, yeah, if someone, if someone I knew just suddenly moved in with um, six boys and she was a girl, I'd probably be like, oh, okay, everything cool here? All that? Mm-hmm. Are, is everyone here okay? But uh, when you get the added context of like how they basically watch over her, this Guardian stuff, like you mentioned, it does get a little heavy-handed what they do. I think they should have been like, I think frankly they should have been interfering with her relationships more, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely see where you're coming from there. Like, it, I think that could have been, like, if you wanted to kind of build on on this, I think, like, having them kind of, like, try to interfere with the different relationships that Teuda establishes in different ways that make you wonder, like, you know, what's going on, you know, what's going on with the supposed, like, everybody's best friends situation. Um, mm-hmm. But they're very backgrounded um, in the game. Yeah, And there's not much of a, you know, they're just not building the foundation for where they want to go in all playing sign. Yeah, I definitely agree there. 
Did we want to touch at all about the, before we wrap things up, did we want to touch at all about the way the game talks about uh, immigration or just, I'd say, kind of race in general sometimes? Because, like, Pepe is kind of, uh, Pepe is kind of a problem. Um, Like, the one character who isn't portrayed as white or Japanese or Russian, um... Basically, the one brown skin character in this game is just constantly talking, like, in the third person, which none of the others do, at least in the localization, and he's basically the the gruff muscle with a softer side, and, uh, that's maybe not the best look. Yeah, Pepe's a pretty racist character. Um, I think also, yeah, just the way that this game wants to, like, talk about immigration, like, the the way the game wants to talk about immigration and class, but not race... Um, I think especially if you're going to talk about immigration in America, like, you've just fucked it up. Like, you just can't. You can't. Um, you can't talk about immigration in America without talking about race. Um, and I think you could talk about, like, you could talk about, like, you could talk about, like, different, you know, like, the... You could talk about the specific experiences of, like, white immigrants and how that is different, like, for, than, like immigrants of color but you can't just like do you can't just do like a cast of like 90 percent light-skinned white people and be like immigration is our major theme it's just you know yeah especially since teata's kind of positioned as a savior by the end just the way that uh she unravels the organization and alexei um ends up confiding in her being like yeah, we still think that you have so much to learn about this topic, but if anyone was going to do this, I'm glad it was you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a thing that they don't really, yeah, a thing that they don't really follow up on is like, there's there's a repeated thing of you know Teuda and the boys that she talks to being in like, you know, living in a different world than like the the immigrant characters, um, and it's not something that's really discussed with any kind of sophistication. Um, yeah, I like the boys in this game, but I think otherwise the game has like major problems. Um, yeah, it's pretty though. A pretty, pretty game. Um, kind of coming at. It, I think it's really swinging outside of its weight class and really failing. You gotta read a book. Like the, there were books that needed to be read. <laughs> there was like yeah. experience that needed to be gathered. You needed to bring a more sophisticated style of writing to these topics than what ended up happening. Yeah, pretty much. Did we want to move on to like our each one of our official rankings for like all these characters or uh no. anything else? I posted mine on Twitter and I think it's also pretty obvious from the episode. I mean, yeah, I think we already all agreed is the thing. I think we we have we have very slight modification, but everyone knows Tuta is the best followed by Shu. Everyone knows Limbo is the worst. And then, you know, how much Helvetica bothers you determines the rest of it. Mozu's pretty good, too. <laughs> Mozu's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, Mozu ended up being my favorite, I think. Fair enough. Um, well, we do have some questions we should get into. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Uh, if you want to um, send a- any questions in, you can send them to abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail.com. Um make sure to put novel not new or something like that in the in the subject line so they know it's for us because that is a email for multiple different uh 
stuffs for, for different podcasts of the Admiral Back Network. All right. So, first off, we have a question from M. Uh, hi, Novelers. M here. Long time, first time. It took quitting during the podcast and a few years, but I think I might finally have my head on right about VNs again. We'll see. Early days. That said, what game, if any, from the time I quit to present, would you, individually or collectively, most suggest I check out? You can't say Riven. Obviously, the answer is Riven. Nah, fuck Riven. <laughs> Thanks for the pod, as always. Rewind. Nah, fuck Riven. <laughs> what? Fuck nah, you. Nah, fuck Riven. <laughs> you know what? Don't come back. All right? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, like okay i think if m i think if m you know wants to be like i think if m wants to you know get back in a in a headspace for visual novels i think out of everything we played i think i'm gonna recommend like psychedelica of the ashen hawk like you want to get some you want to get some vn ass vns then you know there's your one um that's pretty vn i think jed and taylor should hang out (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they'd be great together. Two two little fucking gender goblins. <laughs> I also think that was coincidentally the first full episode uh you joined us for as well. No, that was my second. second. I was on the 80 days one as well. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Close then. <sighs> Jen. Hmm. I see. That's how it is. <laughs> uh I don't care if it counts or not. I'm gonna say overboard. I think it's it's a it's a light fun thing. You if you if I part of the reason I pick overboard is because if you start it and you realize actually I'm not ready to be back. Don't worry, overboard won't take that long. <laughs> um, yeah, overboard's <laughs> pretty fun. Um, yeah. I think it has. I think I think what Overboard has going for it is I think it has like a very I think it is a pretty simple like structure you know in in objectives and you know I like the way it kind of unfolds in you like perfecting your runs of that game to get away increasingly mm. scot free. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'd probably recommend Suzerain. Like it's a good mix of like strategy and visual novel and. It puts you in an interesting position where it's very hard to like get in there and accomplish all of the goals you set out to do without compromise or without getting yourself killed or cooed. So it's it's a good challenging game that kind of like has you thinking about how best to both utilize and at some points take advantage of the people that you're working alongside and uh yeah, I thought it was very good at what it was doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, next question here. Uh, this one's from Danny. Uh, just realized it's Sunday, so I hope it isn't too late. It's not. Uh, I've only recently started following this pod and playing visual novels, and this is a broad question, but what would you consider to be the best games you've covered on the pod so far? Also, are there any you would say are worth avoiding? Also, what VNs do you recommend for someone new to the genre? Thanks, Danny. Um, don't don't play Get in the Car. <laughs> yeah, don't uh, don't play Get in the Car. Um, do play Ghost Trick. Oh yeah, Ghost Trick is great. 
Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, maybe avoid uh, Kindred Spirits on the Roof just because, like, it does have some interesting character stuff, but also it is incredibly heavy on the uh, underage nudity and stuff, like, to a severe degree. And, yeah. It, that part could be kind of tough. I would say if you're new to visual novels, everybody's going to tell you to play some visual novel that's like a, a fucking 13 game series involving time travel and it's going to be a huge pain. Like, people are going to be like, oh, play Fate, play Umineko, play Higurashi, you know? Like, they're going to give you like a, a really big complicated ones i think like if you're new to visual novels i think you should look for like you know standalone games basically you know to just kind of like you know wet your feet try things out um see what you like and don't like before you commit to like one of those crazy long series as portopia serial murder case sure the og yeah Yeah, i think one thing I would really recommend folks check out is like the Year of Springs trilogy because I feel like those are relatively short games. Uh, they're all collected into one thing, mm-hmm. so that uh, I'd say it, it would take like an afternoon or something to get through all three of mm-hmm. them. And uh, yeah, I, I feel like the it's a good introduction to the indie visual novel scene as well, which is uh, more alive than it's ever been. Like, there's all sorts of interesting games all sorts of interesting queer visual novels that are coming out and uh they're worth a shot yeah yeah all right uh next question uh i've been told i might have to turn on screen sharing for this one oh um let me see here okay watch first this is a youtube link okay oh boy (laughs) uh going to share screen don't worry i'll edit in the uh the audio for anyone listening at home everybody ready sure oh this guy fastest hot dog shooter in the northwest i probably i've never seen nobody be able to do this i can do it quick okay i'm just saying what the fuck I've seen this video before. I'm not a fan of it. <laughs> okay, I'm leaving the stream. <laughs> that is grotesque. Right, I'll stop it. Um, okay, uh, the question is, which Bustafellas character would be most likely to do this? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Definitely Scarecrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, is there an answer besides Scarecrow? With the caveat that he would not succeed. <laughs> No, he would he would choke and like you would need to get him a glass of water before he passed yeah. out. Yeah. Uh Mozu and Helvetica would have to do the thing they do throughout this and like tag team their medical knowledge to like make sure he's okay. Oh fuck. Yeah. Uh that was from that was from uh Kyrie. We also have another one from Kyrie that is less uh shit posty. Okay. Uh, one thing that always strikes me about Otome games is how little sex scenes, uh, how little sex seems to be involved in these titles. Don't get me wrong, Otome games are deeply horny, but often 
These are in different ways. The stories, the character designs, etc. They are often made to be thrilling, but rarely explicit. I don't want to chalk it up to some inherent difference between men and women, because that is reductive and basically bullshit, but the genre goes about it in different ways. My questions are, are Otome games just going for a different tone than Aroge? Is it just historical views on games targeted at women, or is there something else going on that makes the Atome game position to not need explicit sex scenes to give their audience thrills? I feel like I'm too stupid to really answer this question. <laughs> I just feel like I don't have the cultural knowledge. Yeah, I, don't, I, I feel like it's just like c- cultural gender roles mm-hmm. and how they're to- how we're told to feel about sex based on perceived gender. One thing, see to me, like. I feel like an Atome game is the main difference between that and a lot of other visual novels is that it is, well, a lot of other romantic based visual novels is that like, it is very focused on flushing out the main character and like creating a, like not just a blank slate for you to insert yourself into, but like a real character get to get invested in. I think that differs uh, by Otome game. I think there are a lot of Otome games where like, the character like it's kind of a in, in the community it's like kind of a meme that like a lot of otome game characters don't have a face yeah so i think yeah. it differs by game i think we happen to play a lot of games that have like characters um like protagonists with personalities um and i think i i in both cases that we've played otome games i have suggested games like that because that's what i prefer I will say, I mean, like, they're... Aroge obviously have have their audience, right? But, like, there are dating sims where you don't fuck anybody. Uh Like, ones where you are playing as a male character dating female characters. Those Plenty of those exist. Tokimiki Memorial exists, you know? Uh Like, um... So I think... I think it's... I think the comparison is probably... Frankly, the... You know, no, no roast on you, Kyrie. But the, it's also the comparison is partially just a lack of of genre knowledge. So, yeah, even for like a podcast where we play a whole ton of visual novels, like we're just a drop in the bucket compared to everything that's out there. Like, it, both in terms of like the various games that people lift up as classics, and also just uh, the sheer number of indie ones that are out these days. Like, it's impossible for any one group to like stay on top of and give a definitive statement, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have one last email, uh, also from M. Uh, what's the personality trait you'd most like to see represented in a party member or dating game love interest that you haven't seen or haven't seen done well? I wish there were more parents who were just like invested in their kid and doing their best, despite how hard that is. Shout out to Saz from FF13. Hmm. Like, in terms of that character trait, like, we could even go back to, like, one of the first episodes here, like, Dream Daddy, where they specifically have parents that you can talk to that are pretty great. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, in terms of, I might need a moment to think of a trait that I'm not seeing here that uh, I would like to see. <laughs> there aren't enough gamers. No, there are enough gamers. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so Scarecrow's your number one then, Sex. <laughs> He's not a gamer. He is a gamer. He plays video games. Nope. He owns video game nope. consoles. Incorrect. Uh, 
Okay. All the characters who play video games, like, there's various scenes where you're just coming into the living room and the boys are, like, playing a game together. Yeah. There's one where where they're accusing Mozu of having played a game before, and he's like, oh, it's very simple. I just looked at the controls and looked at the screen and won the, won the game. <laughs> he says, he says, it's pretty similar to some neuroscience simulators I've played. Because <laughs> he's a cartoon sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I yeah. I don't want to just bite off M's answer, but I like, I you know, I like when characters like, um, in you know dating games or like, you know, RPGs when they can you know have like a parental role. Um, you know, it's not exactly parental, but I think like Mozu, ta- like I said, Mozu talking to um, what was the what was the girl's name? The really Irish girl. Tuta? No, the really Irish high school Ivy? girl. Yeah, Ivy. Um, I think that's a good moment for him where you get to see like a side of him that previously you hadn't seen that much. I think it really characterizes him. Um, one of, I think the great parts of, of future connected is like Melia talking to, you know, these, these two Nopon kids who I didn't mention it are Ricky's children. Um, oh, yeah. So you get, good for yeah, him. yeah, he's got like 20 of them, <laughs> two of them. Yeah, but some of them are adventure ready. Yeah, nice. and so you know they really like look up to her as like an adult, um, and she she gets to play a bit of a parental role when she talks to them, and I think it's really sweet when she does that, because um, you know you get to see like how she's kind of changed and matured. Um, it's really cute. They call her Miss Melly, <laughs> um, and they compete. Uh, they compete to see uh, which like which one of them will get the most praise from her for doing good shit. Um, and that's just sweet. sweet. Yeah. I guess this isn't so much a trait as it is just like a setup. Mm-hmm. And it might be something that exists in another vision while I haven't played. But like, I often feel like your various choices for these routes, especially in this game in particular, Buster Fellows, um, oftentimes the status quo of your situation isn't... Uh, going to change all that much depending on who you choose um i do think it'd be nice to just have more situations where okay like at the beginning to get this inciting incident your status quo might change but also like in order to commit to this one person you might have to like make even more severe changes within your life whether it's like moving to a different place or in terms of fantasy or whatever like you could like have someone be like, okay, you're going to be on a different plane of existence if you accept this person. And yeah, I, I think those sorts of gigantic changes, like having them in a situation where it's not just thrust upon you in terms of like, okay, this is the setup, but here's something you have to actively choose, actively choose to give something up. I feel like more games could use something like that for visual novels, especially. Hmm. Also more mecha pilots, and don't you dare fucking say heaven will be mine to me. <laughs> I think Busta... How's Moth Love coming, Six? I think Busta Fellas should uh, have had a mecha pilot in romance. That would have yeah. been alright. <laughs> yeah, another time traveler. Just have someone who's like, oh, you can just travel your your mind around? Well, I've traveled my whole body here. No, and... my mecha around. <laughs> yeah. 
And then, and then the fucking dark, the true end is realizing that the mecha is built using like the brain and heart of future Tuta. Oh, fuck. <laughs> and that's how she can go back in time. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, that's all we've got for uh, for questions. Please feel free to send us in uh, emails, questions, and such. Um, uh, Admiral Mapping Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and before we get to our sign-offs, uh, the other the other thing with Olivia leaving is that um, we've kind of taken a second look at our format here, and uh, more specifically, Six has come to me with like concerns about how we don't have that much of a structure other than like what have we been playing talking about the game questions and then signing off so a we're gonna focus on like presenting something much more structured um going forward b you know how sometimes we've focused on a game that is absolutely not a visual novel uh, we're going to keep doing that to the point where we're broadening ourselves to basically talk about story-based games in general. Like, anything that catches our interest we'll be covering. And as part of that, see, um, our next game is going to be Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin. And uh, we'll be playing that with uh, Jackson from Abnormal Mapping. Have a good time. Uh, yeah. expect an episode that's mostly us just being like, I don't know, dudes rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, heard, we'll see what we can do with that story. I heard that there were two women in that game, and I was shocked. I was like, <laughs> excuse me? Yep, there sure are two women in that game. Chaos. Yeah, you, fight, and- you, fight, you fight chaos. This is from the demo, so I can say it. You fight chaos, like, at the beginning of the game, and you beat chaos, and a woman falls out. And, sh- and you're like, oh, I guess you're part of our party now. And she's like, okay, I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, like, there's specific- one of the characters is just like, are you sure about this, bro? And the other's like, bro, she's got a crystal too. She's one of us. <laughs> we- we're going forward this way. Uh, I have not played Stranger of Paradise, but I think constantly about the one cutscene that I've seen, which is just, like, Jack walking along, and then he whips around, and there's the two boys, and they hold out their crystals, and they're like... Yeah, you know what's up. And then they will fist bump. <laughs> and then it says, and then they went on an adventure, and now they're coming back. <laughs> that is what happens. It just cuts to a black screen that's like, then a game happened. You don't get to play it. Anyway. <laughs> Man, this rules. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, I, I hope folks uh, look forward to our um, format change and... Uh, We'll be cycling through a few guests uh, while we figure out what we want to do next, more or less. Mm-hmm. It'll be weird to like listen to episodes that I'm not on. Uh, it has I I haven't had like a super emotional reaction to it, but I feel like that's going to happen when like I listen to an episode and I'm not on it. And you're like, man, why isn't anyone yelling at six for being stupid? <laughs> Just getting away with it. <laughs> Uh, a six why have you cast me as like the sundere in your life (laughs) (laughs) you have cast yourself olivia i mean i guess technically i cast you in that i was one of the people who said you could be on the show yeah i think you literally did cast me (laughs) (laughs) so um 
From now on, where can people find you, Olivia? Well, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Great Grebe, um, where there, I guess I should make a new pin tweet, which will have all my projects in there. Um, the, the two podcasts that I have now are Attention Duelists, where me and my girlfriend, Nora, um, watch... Uh, we are now in the English dub of original Yu-Gi-Oh, uh, which has just been a blast. Yu-Gi-Oh is so good. Um, and so, yeah, we, that's just a, a rewatch podcast where we kind of talk about it and riff on it. And then uh, I do a tabletop criticism slash, like, fiction podcast, um, you know, Do Not Steal, with my good friend and roommate Hannah, um, where we take tabletop games as the inspiration to like make up guys and talk about them, and that's a very that's a, a very fun podcast as well. Yeah, and I can vouch for both podcasts being amazing. So um, if you've been listening to us for long enough and haven't checked out Lovia's other podcasts yet, you should go ahead and do so. They're great. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And uh, where can people find you, Six? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Six Detmar, S-I-X-D-E-T-T-M-A-R. Uh, my DMs are open if you want to, you know, if you've got some questions or comments or whatever. Um, and then otherwise, you can find my work at scanlandme.com and patreon.com slash scanlandmedia. I do too many podcasts to reasonably list right now. What about you, Jen? Yeah, I'm pretty much found in the same places as Six. Um, you can find me on Twitter at JBU3, and uh, most of my stuff lives over at scanlinemedia.com or patreon.com slash scanlinemedia and uh, seeing as we already started a, another new podcast this month I also have too many to just list out but you go to either one of those places and you'll get a bunch of podcasts but yeah that's gonna do it for us today and um, Olivia once again thank you so much for being on this show you've been an incredible co-host and uh You've just had some incredible insights about everything we've covered here. And I've always been happy to see the games you pick for this, too, because, like... Because they bring the anime I trash. Think... <laughs> <laughs> yes, the anime trash. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the only difference... Like, I would I would pick more anime trash, but I get self-conscious. But then you confidently pick it, and I'm like, okay. I'm great. like, Psychedelica, the Ashen Hawk, let's go, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah thanks thanks for having me you two um this is like a really you know like i said this is the first you know this is like the first podcast that i did the you know we're just like putting it out and publishing it um and it's it's been very important to me for that reason um i wouldn't i definitely wouldn't be doing the other two like if i didn't you know get my start on novel not new and i you know i really appreciate it we were really glad to have you. Yeah. Oh, okay, I'm having my uh, emotional part. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll wrap things up. Just listen, so don't don't can... worry, don't worry. I'll, well, before it gets worse, we'll just uh, we'll quick save. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See see everyone next month for Stranger Paradise. Assuming we're able to finish in the month, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Have a good one, everyone. Yeah. Peace. Stay tuned for next episode.